The Muppet Show, Luke. Welcome to the Star Wars Collector's Archive Podcast. It's the Vintage Pod, a monthly audio magazine dedicated to vintage Star Wars toys and memorabilia. Hosted by Sky Payne, Fudd, and Stephen B. Danley. Market data mined by Brisbane Brisbane Mike and Fantastic Pete. With tech support by the Low Art. We open this month's issue with a 35-year-old breaking news story about the 1977 Early Bird set. We spend a lot of time discussing Luke's ESB fashion sense, Sky Interviews Star Wars podcasting legend Jimmy Mack, as well as Fanboys director Kyle Newman in our longest interviews ever. Chris Jorgulius explains box flats and toy shop scrapbooks in our vocab. We limelight a couple of Bespin Luke focuses, and our unloved item is filled with fragile banks. All this and somehow more on Vintage Pod. Wampa Wampa. Welcome to the Vintage Pod, episode number 37. That's right, folks. You, you may have noticed that, uh, well, Steve just said welcome to the Vintage Pod. And you may have noticed that the opening song is about 3 minutes and 47 seconds shorter, Steve. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, one is that uh, I'm like, you know, I got the new, uh, well, not new, but, you know, I got the, the iTunes app, the podcast app, Steve. Yeah, yeah, I just got that, too. It's actually pretty sweet. It's awesome. And it has this button where you can hit forward 30 seconds. So yeah. I thought, why not get our intro down to 30 seconds? I'll get my recaps down to 30 seconds. And then if someone wants to skip right to the Wampa Wampa, they just hit it twice and they don't have to deal with it. Sounds good, right? So you're thinking ergonomically. I'm thinking ergonomically. I'm thinking let's make this better for our listeners because most of the people who yeah. hear us have heard the show more than once. And for new people, all you really need to say is it's about vintage Star Wars toys, and that's about it. <laughs> so Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so it's pretty streamlined. And uh, you're, you're going to notice that we're also going a little bit more, even more towards the vintage pod uh, as our branding. Um, again, just this, this college humor, Kive <laughs> website, Steve. Right, right, but theirs is more the chive than the kive. Yeah, it's, but, it's spelling, yeah, so it totally whacks everything. So, yeah. Totally. So it's, I just, you know, it just seems to make the most sense. Um, I would have loved to include more people's names in the beginning. Um, I had a whole list, you know, Swedish help by, archivist by, Jugulius name having by, but uh, <laughs> I, again, I had to keep it down to 30 seconds. So just, so just the, uh, the, the named cast. Right. Um, so, yeah, so that's sort of the, the, the newer, sleeker era of the Vintage Pod. Although, well, right. of course, you can still call it the Kivecast, but we'll, we'll probably not call it that too much from this point on just to try and make it more like, you know, it's what we really are, you know, because we're not really a Kive. We're the Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast. Right. Right? So it just happens to be that the Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast is an awfully long name. <laughs> So, Steve, as we start every show, uh, we have the movie observation. So, right. uh, for new listeners, this is where uh, I just think about something that happens in the movies, and then Steve brings up something that he found while doing archival work on the scripts for the movie. And w what's our figure of the month, Steve? It's uh, Luke Bespin. That's right. It's Luke Bespin. And so I was watching Empire today. I was actually really frustrating my kids because I was like sort of doing research, like looking up something about <laughs> Luke Bespin. And they, and they kept on asking me to, to just watch it. And I kept on fast forwarding and I was only listening to the commentary. <laughs> so, oh, that's funny. <laughs> they were so frustrated. But anyways, I was listening to the Blu-ray commentary and Luke uh, Lucas was saying that the only reason that Yoda is on Luke's back 
is because of technical restrictions. And that ah. if, they, if they did it now, quote, he would have Yoda kind of bopping along, bouncing along with him. Oh, no. Like David the Gnome? <laughs> I, I don't, who's David the Gnome? Oh, man, that's like a, this animated show from the 90s. I think it was from Spain, but it was on Nickelodeon. But that's what they did. They kind of bounced around everywhere. Yeah, and I just, this made me think a lot. First of all, as a kid, I always thought the hardest thing about what Luke was doing was that he had Yoda on his back. Yeah. You know, I never really thought about it as like he's doing full flips and climbing up the ropes because I just assumed that all adults could do that. <laughs> and, and then I was thinking like when you are a father, Steve, and, and uh, you know, I, I believe we owe you some felicitations, right? Because you're, you're, you're moving in with your lady friend, right? That's right. It's, it's done. Yeah. New, so. new, new, uh, new recording studio here in West Hollywood. It's yeah. all good. Wow. West Hollywood, huh? Mm -hmm. Wow, from the WeHo. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, you may know this feeling one day, Steve, of having a kid. They have like backpacks for your kids. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And I would always walk around and I would constantly ask my infant children, is the dark side stronger? <laughs> and, and as they would grow up, I would feed them the lines. I'd be like, no, you're supposed to say no quicker to join you in a fight, whatever the line is. So I, I don't know. I guess my, my movie thought is uh, that – That's fun. So was it, it starts like an impulse? Or? Uh, yeah, just because when you have someone on your back, like I just wanted – well, first of all, I wanted to do a full flip. Um, that, that's what happened to my first child. We don't talk about him anymore. Um, but uh, – no, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I just – it just – you can't help it. When you have someone on your back, you just think of him as Yoda, you know, because when you're like us, Steve, just everything filters through Star Wars first. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, that's sort of my, my thought. Boy, am I <laughs> happy true. that they did not have digital technology because it made that scene really interesting. And one other, Steve, totally aside, why does Vader scream when Luke shoots steam in his face? It's not like he has skin, <laughs> right? Okay. All right. So that, that is nothing – neither here nor there. Now, Steve, you are a, an official archivist with the American Film Institute. Is that correct? Not the – no, it's the Writers Guild Foundation. Uh, okay. Close. Okay, so cool. Uh, anyway. so, so you get privileged access to the earliest and the most interesting drafts of all the Star Wars scripts. So, so what have you uncovered this month for Steve Flips the Script? It's getting really, really hot in here. Flip the Script. Flip the Script. So this month I figured uh, I didn't have anything specific for, for Luke Bespin, but uh, I thought since Valentine's Day just happened. And that we might exchange. Um, this is from scene 29. It's from the 1978 draft for Empire. And uh, okay. <laughs> it's right after Luke is healed in the, in the back down and all that. <laughs> all right. And um, so Luke says to Leia, uh, Leia, do you know how I feel about you? And then uh, <laughs> in, <laughs> in parentheses, Lawrence Kazan writes in his handwriting, uh, she does, carrot, and it's confusing. <laughs> so I thought that was just the best like script note. Uh, I, that's funny. And they didn't even really have an answer for her there. She just kind of <laughs> right. She does, and it's confusing. Wow, I, I would say that's true, Steve. Yeah. Wow, another excellent uh, f uh, script flipping. Well, well, don't worry, Steve, because uh, on the other side of the news drop, you know that's when we've been doing our card back observations. And Steve, I am rip roaring, ready to go on Luke Bespin fatigues. So, uh, should, should we hit the news? All right, Steve. 
so, uh, you know, you're, you're in your new WeHo studios. Uh, I'm still by the beautiful uh, banks of the Erie Canal, but uh, it sounds as though you may be having a little bit of a technical difficulty. We're, we're going to work that out. Okay. Um, but, you know, this is the show where the guys from Rebel Force Radio are going to be on, Steve. So uh, our sound quality has to be the absolute best, man. Just <laughs> no failures, because anyways. Uh, uh, we're in trouble, then. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in trouble. Yeah, you, you can't stop who you are. So anyways, the card back observation, Steve. So everyone's right. thinking. Okay, not everyone's thinking. That's like a totally blowhard way to start a sentence. Uh, you would imagine that if I'm talking about the Luke Bespin card back, what, w- what would my subject be, Steve? Walking versus pointing. Right. We'll get to that during okay. the market watch. I have a beef, Steve, a serious beef with the term that is used on the Kenner card back. Ooh. Do you know what they call him, Steve? Do you know what they say? They say, Luke, what do they say after that? Is it the Bespin Fatigues or is it Outfit? I, can't, I always yes. get them mixed up. Bespin Fatigues. It is Fatigues. All right. Okay, let's think about this term, Bespin Fatigues, because we're going to see it is sorely lacking. First of all, in the Star Wars Blu-ray that I just looked at and tortured my children with, it's called Luke's Tan Costume. And we're going to see that that's actually probably the best name for it. Okay? Yeah. But let, let's look at this term, Bespin Fatigues. All right. Word by word. First word, Bespin. Where does he first wear it, Steve? Dagobah. Where does he wear it for most of the movie? Dagobah. Right. And, and I was watching this, right? I was obsessively watching his outfit. And it totally changes the way you see the whole Dagobah sequence. First of all, <laughs> so he shows up and he's wearing the, the, the X-Wing outfit. And then he just appears right. to pop out of his X-Wing in his, in his tan costume. And I don't know if there's like a dressing room in the cockpit of the X-Wing. I don't know if he changed his clothes in the middle of, of the swamp. You know, he always feels like he's being I think he just went behind a tree, you know. <laughs> yeah, he probably just went behind a tree. But anyways... Uh, and so, does he wear it underneath his flight suit, though? Or, or does he have it, like, in a little bag behind there? And yeah. then, he, then I start thinking about how most of that time, actually, he's wearing this sleeveless T-shirt, which I figure had to be put in the contract for him to be like, I've been really working out, man. <laughs> and then I noticed one other thing, Steve, about the, the Bespin fatigues, the so-called Bespin fatigues. You know what's the last thing that Luke does before Yoda lifts up the great X-Wing scene? Oh, uh, let's see. He puts that jacket back on? Yeah, he puts his shirt back on. And yeah, then he yeah. flops down and goes, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah. that. So anyways, <laughs> there's like super heightened attention on his clothes, okay? So we've established that he wears them on Bespin, but they are just as much Dagobah as they are Bespin. And after right. all, they're tan. They're the swampy color of Dagobah. Everything else that's Bespin is nice, clear, clean colors, which we'll get into with, with Leia and, and, and uh, Han. Let's get into this term fatigues, Steve. Now, of course, I'm a French professor, so I love the idea of, of fatigues, which comes from the French word fatigue or fatigue, uh, which actually means it's a military term, Steve. And I looked this up right. to be precise. It, is, it okay. is, according to the American Heritage Dictionary, the uniform or work clothing worn by military personnel during manual or menial work or in the field of battle. Now, does Luke... Is he wearing those huh. because he's doing manual labor for the military? Is he in battle, Steve? Or, as I <laughs> posit, are these just no. Luke's clothes? I think that's what it should say on the card back. Luke. <laughs> and then in parentheses, in his clothes. Because there's no military. If it's, it has to be fatigues, it has to be military. So what is it? Is it the rebellion? Have you ever seen anyone else in the rebellion wear those weird multi-pocketed tan suit, jumpsuits? 
No. Is he a part of the Tatooine <laughs> military? Well, maybe. That'd be the right color, but I don't think Tatooine has a military, right? So, Steve, that's... I, I got doubt all, it. I got all worked up, Steve. Are you with me? That there's just... This is just not... This, you know, this will not stand, man. This is, like, not okay. Bespin fatigues. Anyways, when you when you look at the, the foreign the foreign cardbacks... Uh, I'm with you on that. The foreign cardbacks, we have the French, uh, who call the tenue Bespin, which is, like, Bespin wear... Um, the Spanish okay. Empire Strikes Back card back just calls it Luke and then in parentheses Bespin. I like that one actually. That one's okay because he at least wears it in Bespin. And then the Return of the Jedi Spanish is Uniforme Bespin. So anyways, that's, uh, that's, that's my card back observation. And I say we either call it Luke in his clothes or <laughs> Luke in his tan costume because that's really what it is. It's a, it's a tan costume. And uh, at some point too, we should probably probably mention the fact that uh, he wore it a lot in in pre movie release stuff, right, Steve? Yeah, that's true. And a lot of those publicity photos, he's wearing that. And I just think that's so cool. Like he wore it uh, for the Muppets, right? Yeah, that's right. The, the weird. Someday we'll have to have a whole episode about the Muppets episode where Chewbacca is not wearing his bandolier strap. Because um, <laughs> still to this day, I can't watch it without feeling like embarrassed like dude he's not wearing any clothes he's gotta have the strap on uh, and uh <laughs> i didn't come out right uh yeah and he also wore it for the jim will fix it segment um which we talked about a couple months ago steve right that's right yeah it was a couple months ago yeah there's was, was a british show about a guy who gave kids their deepest wish uh, come true and uh was recently found out that he was a pedophile lovely lovely thanks luke for Bringing the kids right to the mouth of the alligator. But anyways, he could have known. Um, British listeners may email us at thevintagepod at gmail.com uh, if they do not like our representation of Jim Will Fix It. Uh, that's our new email, Steve. The, <laughs> thevintagepod at gmail.com. Now, if you send one to the old one, we'll still get it. So don't don't feel angry if you're a, an old-fashioned curmudgeon and you absolutely have to send it to the to the old one. We understand. But whew, Steve, you know it doesn't matter if you have a problem with your uh, with your connection because I'm just going to talk the whole time. <laughs> well, Steve, you know I've been all riled up, and I'm excited because I know the whole Star Wars world is a buzz with this new, really vital information about the Star Wars saga, Steve. And I think we all know what we're talking about with episodes seven, eight, and nine coming out. The biggest question that's been on everyone's mind is: Did Sky and Steve find out? about the actual negative publicity for the Star Wars early bird set from Christmas 1977? Oh, did we? <laughs> oh, did we? So that's what you call, Steve, a comedic misdirection. That's yeah, right. I thought we were going to be talking about J.J. Abrams. We'll get to J.J. Abrams. But this, for us, you see, if you're wondering what the Vintage Pod is all about, J.J. Abrams is great and very interesting and wonderful. But we found out this information in which uh, we'd read somewhere that there was this negative press about... The, the early bird certificate giveaway package. And we just said, oh, I don't know. Does anyone have any proof of that? And who came through, Steve? Our Canadian champion of the know-it-alls. This season on Canada's greatest know-it-all, Scott! <laughs> That's right. The Canadian know-it-all, uh, Scott Bradley. Uh, yep. And I don't know if I'm going to put his drop in. I did just create it last month, but I feel like we're a little bit drop-heavy this month. But uh, I think what we should do, Steve, we should read some excerpts from these amazing just attacks on the early bird package system. 
That's right. Uh, well, actually, the first is the, is the most is the most friendly. That's from the UPI press. What does that one say, Steve? All right, so this one, it's uh, telling about the early bird packages being delivered by February 15th. They sold for about $10. Uh, this is the 15th, great line. That's this month. That's February right. February 15th. So, you know, every February 15th technically is the birthday of kids having Star Wars toys in their hands. So I'm thinking maybe that could be like Kenner Day. What do you think, Steve? Can hey. we start that for next year? I. I like that. I like Kenner Day for that. That sounds good. Right, because for um, Valentine's Day. So, um, so the article goes on to say that adults seem interested in having the figurines for themselves, too. We've had a 26-year-old engineering student calling us and asking how soon they'll be ready. Oh, it's so great. Like, can you believe it? Yeah. A 26-year-old is interested in Star Wars toys? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know how that really seems plausible. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it's, anyways, uh, that that's a, a great line. The New York Times... Now, they had a much net more negative spin, and you can see the way that newspapers go, because instead of saying they cost around $10, they say costing up to $15. <laughs> and uh, they said that the, the certificates were sold out in Chicago and New York. And, uh, Steve, what's the quote from one of the New York toy stores? Uh, we sell toys, not promises. That's just classic. <laughs> Yeah, we sell toys, not promises. How did that work out for you, Toy Store? Betting against Star Wars, did that work out for you? <laughs> not, not too well, I don't think. <laughs> and then there's the Knight Ritter uh, press service, which referred to it as a toy caper. <laughs> and this is amazing. I mean, they – Steve, I, I'm just, I'm just going to have to read this out here. Yeah. So they refer to this as, quote, the Christmas certificate caper. And this is an actual quote from the article. Geez, it was as if Darth Vader had turned in his black cape to pursue a career as a psychologist. And the guinea pigs were America's wide-eyed kids, anxious for a little yuletide yippee, but coaxed instead into a bit of delayed gratification experimentation. And that's, wow. That's beautiful <laughs> writing, Steve. And yeah. I love the idea of Darth Vader therapist. Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> you know, without the cape, I mean, you could you could do that. I don't know if there's something our artists could do with Darth Vader therapist. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just the whole idea about it as being an experiment of a delayed gratification experimentation. So let's put this out to our listeners. Email us uh, the vintage pod at, ki at <laughs> the vintage pod <laughs> at gmail dot com. Do you have an actual memory of waiting for the early bird package? Because, I mean, a lot of people have memories of the Bosque or of the Forlom or whatever. But I'm curious if anyone actually had that feeling of waiting from Christmas 77 mm -hmm. to February. Um, I mean, I'm sure lots of people had it, but we don't know anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would be great to get some, some feedback on that. Yeah, and then what's great about this article is it actually took place – it was written later. So it okay. talks about how the first 12 figures were put out. Um, it mentions how they are under four inches high, but anywhere from 2 to $5 in price. Mm -hmm. um, so that was like this great thing saying, can you believe they're only four inches and they cost $5? <laughs> yeah. and, and then they go on to say, though Kenner was pleased with the success of the certificate approach to marketing, believed to be the first of its kind in the, in the toy industry, there are no plans to repeat the strategy. Because they say later, this is no way to win friends and influence Wookiees. And of <laughs> course, it was misspelled. Yeah, that's yeah, right. <laughs> just, just one E uh, on, yeah. on the Wookiees. 
So, anyways, thank you so much to Canada's greatest know-it-all, uh, Scott Bradley, for finding those articles. And I just, I love that as a view into the way it was seen. And it really was, yeah. I mean, it was cynical, and it was, but on the other hand, it worked, right? It's not like they actually ripped, ripped anyone oh. off. No, no, it was, I'd say it worked quite well. Yeah, so I think that Knight Ritter maybe owes them an apology. Um, although I always thought that was Knight Rider. <laughs> so I just got to make Yeah, up. I thought that was maybe a typo by you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I used to work in PR a little bit, and that's that's like, you know, Associated Press or whatever. Okay. All right, Steve, so what's the secondary news in Star Wars this month? Yeah, the secondary, I guess, would be that they, they uh, announced a director for the first new movie. That'd be J.J. Abrams. Um, which I, you know, I'm okay with. I don't, I don't, I'm, I guess I don't get too worked up about it yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, who knows? But, uh, I don't know. What do you think? You know, I'm sort of split. I don't have okay. an opinion. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm sort of split. Part of me really didn't want somebody who loved Star Wars. Yeah. And I know that sounds weird, but like, to me, the worst idea in the world was you know Kevin Smith right like I don't want someone who's in love with it because yeah. that, that's something that I liked about I don't know like I, but then you know the, Dave Filoni the guy who does the Clone Wars does a great job and he's you know a cosplayer so I wasn't quite sure about that but then I realized I like the idea of J.J. Abrams because I like Lost okay and the reason it makes me happy is that the thing I think Lucas is underappreciated for Steve is he is amazingly withholding like as much as he is an artist who gives the public what they want, he is yeah. an artist who withholds from them things they want very, 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 very badly. <laughs> that, that's uh, one way to put it. <laughs> and, and I mean, the prequel trilogy is the best example, but even before that, you know, I mean, you just the whole idea that you never got to see Vader kicking ass or anything like that. And if you look at Lost, um, even though he wasn't that involved towards the end, but still, there's that sense of, like, I'm the artist and... Not everything's going to be answered, and you may not like that, but it's okay because I'm the artist, you know? Right, um, right. So in general, I would say I'm positive. I don't care if he did Star Trek. That doesn't bother me. Uh, no, I, I, that didn't bother me at all. Did you – I mean, I, I maybe, maybe I'll go under the, under the uh, bus here for saying I actually like that Star Trek movie that he did. But, yeah, uh, yeah, no, that was I fun. Mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a fun movie. So I, I figured uh, it's a good sign – at least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, is that he's already a very good filmmaker. I love Super 8. A lot of people didn't like oh, it. Yeah. Oh, I love Super 8. Um, That's a, it's a great movie. And there were Star and there were vintage Star Wars toys in there. Yeah. Yeah. And right? had that E.T. flavor. Yeah, it's right. Yeah, but we talked about that. There was actually Star Wars toys in Super 8. Um, yeah. So maybe we can get him on the show. I don't know. I wonder if he's getting a lot of calls for interviews now. But uh, yeah, so I, I I would say in general that's I would say if if he could see this as his chance to make his masterpiece, um, that that'd be pretty cool because I, I think he he has you know more more in him you know as opposed to if they'd gone with Spielberg or something where, you know Spielberg's yeah. great but he's never going to get better than Jaws you know that kind of thing. Um, to, yeah, you're right. To, to give a film snob answer, Steve, I know that you're becoming such a Hollywood hotshot now, but. Uh, <laughs> Did you know J.J. Abrams personally? Now that you're oh, oh yes, shot? yeah, yeah, quite, quite, quite well. <laughs> uh, um, oh man, what, what else is there, Steve? Uh, well, I guess I don't know if there was any real credit to this or not, but I saw a, an article about Harrison Ford being the first of those names to actually like be confirmed 
to be in one of the new movies, which I kind of thought was funny. But <laughs> yeah, I, I got a promotion that he, he's usually known to be. <laughs> yeah, I have to say I would actually prefer him not to be in the movie. That's, that's just me. I just, and I like Harrison Ford, but I just, I, I yeah. don't know. It's, I, I just nightmares of uh, Kingdom of the Skull or whatever. Oh man! Oh yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I just, I don't <laughs> want the whole thing just to be him staring at the camera, being like, "I am old," you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyways, it's all, it's all still excitement from uh, oh, yeah. a couple, couple months ago. And oh, right, remember how last month we said this was going to be a uh, roundtable episode, Steve? Yeah, yeah, we did say that. Well, the main reason we said that was that Rob Amenteo wanted to come in and sort of talk about micro stuff, but he's sort of like pushing his book like along, so we're going to have a, a micro roundtable. I promise you guys we're going to have a micro roundtable. It's going to be a huge, long-awaited thing. It's going to be better than episode seven, um, but uh, we're not going to do that now. So, uh, <laughs> But anyways, when, when we had this interview with the, the folks at Rebel Force Radio, I think that's going to be like a little mini roundtable anyway. Okay. So, but this isn't it, Steve. As far as the the news in the vintage world, not only did we find out about the early bird package stuff, but what about this find, Steve? So there was a uh, a new Uze or Uzai. Wait, we had this told to us. <laughs> Steve, I had the same thought. I'm like, we officially, oh, Oz, Uzai, right? Uzai, Uzai. That's like what I remember us learning. Oh, Steve, <laughs> so so great of a, a student okay. I am. The vintage pod at gmail.com. Go back in our old episodes where we told you how to pronounce that properly. Listen, yeah. I'm just trying to keep Jorgulia straight. You know, that, that's, that's right. enough. I, I believe it was Uzai. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's just call it Uze because that's how everyone knows it. The amazingly okay. rare Turkish bootlegs from the late 1980s. And, and what is this, Steve? So it looks like a huge, uh, you know, a lot of them turned up, uh, I think, at the as a result of an estate sale or it was someone that had passed away and Someone found them in a storage unit, and it's just an astounding set of them. Um, and it's great because they were it's it's from an old, I guess, childhoodish collection, and not childhood, but original collection. Right. And this is uh, posted by from uh, by Turk Delit. I think it just goes by Turk. Yeah, well, probably um, like Turk Delight. This is meat, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So this is the guy who told us how to pronounce Uzai correctly, and then he yeah. also told us how to pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> and I don't know if it was Meta or Meet or Mita, so we also did that wrong. So uh, Meet, Meta, Mita, Uzai, 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 uh, TheVintagePod at gmail.com. Um, yeah, so, so he got these, and it's uh, it's an amazing collection. It's, uh, how many is that, 10 Uzai yeah, ten figures. Of them. 10 of them, that's right. And let's cool. see, one of them had never been seen before? All right, so it has the light-caped... Uh, Emperor's Royal Guard, which is apparently the only one he knows of carded. Oh, wow. Um, the alternative cardback Chewbacca, which I don't have. Ah, um, uh, yeah. So just, just throwing that out there for other people who find Turkish um, Turkish things. Well, it's cool, you know, the, the Turkish Chewbacca's one says Aslan Adam, and that's the one that's more common with the gourd, and that just means Lion Man. And then one says Miamum Adam, which means Monkey Man, and that's the rarer <laughs> one. Okay. And also a really good Rolling Stone song off uh, Let It Bleed. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then there's the TIE Fighter pilot, which is insanely rare. Have, have you ever seen one of those, Steve? I was going to say, I don't remember ever seeing one of those, uh, especially at least the, the card back like that. No, I don't, I don't remember. Right. But yeah. 
And then there is the ATAT driver with the gold rocks background, which apparently mm. was only ever seen in a Tomart article published decades ago. And I, Man, that is just crazy. I think that was the thing that Joe was hinting to us that he knew existed, but that he couldn't confirm or talk to us about. Okay. I don't know. I know that Joe was out of it for a while. People have been asking, when are we going to throw a brick through his window? Um, we're going to do that when Joe's ready because uh, it seems like he's uh, kind of getting back into the swing of things. And we, we look forward to talking to him about this and many other things. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. this is just an, an amazing find. I mean, uh, just as far as just as far as far dollar amounts. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. It's got to be. I mean, well, this is at I least. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> probably a $30,000 find, if not that, if not more. I don't know. It's uh, well, I guess depending on whether or not Joe's bidding on him. <laughs> but yeah, that's true. Yeah, it really, really is. And, and, and there's even the Imperial Gunner, of course, with the the famous uh, calculator, and there's a Blue Stars, and yep, that's, yeah, uh, it's a, crazy. A, a truly amazing find. And again, part of the reason why we wanted to do the Vintage Pod, Steve, was that you know these stories they they do go forgotten. You know, in three years. People are going to not remember this that clearly, and so I really love the idea of, of people going back. We're going to get to this in the feedback section that a lot of people do go back and listen to our old our old issues, uh, and they say, "Oh, that's cool! I didn't know about that." And you can say, "Oh, this is yeah. where those Uzes came from," um, or Uzai. So yeah, that was just huge news. I've even posted on there because <laughs> I just don't know what to say. Um, Besides, you know, the first thing he says is don't contact me about these items. And the collector in me is like, okay, but can I contact you about these items? Uh, but no, I don't, uh, I don't have the, the spendable income. And then, Steve, you also posted something about a vintage photo contest. Uh, what, what's that, Steve? Yeah, so um, Rather Childish uh, on Rebel Scum, he's done this now two years in a row. He's done a, a photo contest fe featuring the uh, vintage toys, and um, I don't know if you had a chance to look at some of the finalists for this, but they're really great. Um, I did, and, and I have to say, too, that we actually, by we I mean I, uh, steal his images quite often for our enhanced <laughs> podcasts. Oh, yeah? <laughs> and again, in case you don't know what enhanced podcast is, it means there's images on your iPhones. Okay, just because people ask me that every month. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, because, you know, I'll just sort of do a, a picture search for something. And, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, and, just and for the, any for character. He, yeah, he has all these great images. Um, yeah, yeah. So Turman, yeah. Yep, the right. winner is Stéphane, Stéphane Foucault, from, oh, uh, cool. from the, the writer of the Meccano. Uh, well, I assume that's the same Cheek Taba from Paris, France. Um, uh, probably, right? <laughs> right. But, yeah, no, he, he did a really cool picture of all the vintage figures uh, from the the Ewok storytelling scene. Yeah. Uh, Ticolo Carbon. Ticolo Carbon. Uh, around a fire. And it's got awesome. this really good lighting. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I like that one. I was tempted to vote for the Wampa one just because, you know, we're the Wampa, yeah. Wampa podcast. Yeah, no, that's true. But yeah, that, that's really cool. And I think that we should, uh, I think in the future, we should really, you know, do more like this. Oh, look at that. You know what? You know what he just posted last thing was was Luke Bespin. Oh, really? Yep. So cool. There you go. That'll be the actual image that we take uh, and and use as our main image for the enhanced podcast, uh, Good deal. unless he asks us not to. <laughs> but we just gave him so much free advertising, Steve. 
Nothing's so, yeah. Hopefully be okay. <laughs> yep. Ratherchildish.wordpress.com. Um, and that's uh, – and I think – I'm pretty sure there's more room for this kind of thing, just high-quality photographs of his uh, – you know, we should interview him, Steve. That'd be good. Yeah. No, he's, he's California. He's, he's part of the, the club. And he hasn't had a chance to get to a meeting yet, but um, yeah, it would be great to have him on. Yeah. How about a limelight, Steve? Always room for that. So this month, I thought it would be, well, I say I thought it would be. I think you actually did most of the work, Steve. So how about <laughs> we thought it would be a cool idea um, if we sort of showed an old limelight that doesn't exist anymore. That is to say the collection is broken up. And then a new limelight uh, that was put together, you know, sort of more recently to just yeah. kind of show the variety and the fact that, you know, even though there are these great old legendary runs, uh, new runs can be made. So, w what's the old run, Steve? So the old run we have is uh, Jim McCallum's Luke Bespin proof card series, and I see he's got oh, it's like a dozen of them. Um, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Um, starting with the uh, thirty-one back, just the regular walking photo, and then tons of the uh, the Empire with the pointing, and then the Jedi and Power of the Force. I mean, it's just an incredible. It's just crazy to think these were all together at one time and now that they're not it's, yeah. it's just it's and, tough but and i actually when i was up in toronto uh once i went to go visit him oh cool uh, it's one of my things i want to get all the collector's books signed by the people who wrote them and jim yeah. McCallum wrote the book on canadian star wars collecting um so for that period of time he was canada's greatest know-it-all um, well, I don't think he collects Star Wars anymore, so he's he's bumped down to Canada's <laughs> greatest know-it-all about comic book art. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he had even more than that at that point, and it, it was just oh wow, yeah, it, it's it's a really impressive run. And you see something like this, and you just think, well, that's it, forget it. I I can't. There's just nothing else I can do because how would I ever have an awesome collection? But fortunately, Steve, from the area of Australia. That is well known as Brisbane or Brisbane, because I also forgot how to pronounce that in the last month. Uh, there's Brisbane, Brisbane Mike's uh, Luke Bespin focus. Yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's got he's got a great uh, deal of stuff here too. It's and it's just all within the last, I guess. Um, well, I guess since 2005, he started putting this together. Right. Um, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's got. Carded stuff, foreign stuff. Um, but no, he some... said that most of this is from the last couple of years. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so we'll include a link to it. Yeah, and he's got pre-production, he's got uh, a proof, and he's got two QC samples, you know, quality yeah, you know, control samples. It's funny. Like, I'm just wondering. I used to have a Luke Bestman quality control sample that was with that card back. I wonder if... No, I think it's not mine. This one I think is graded, but it looked just like that. It's so funny. It could have been graded after you sold it, Steve. Maybe, but it doesn't. Those things are, are wicked rare. But. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. But yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, so you can kind of take a look at it and just sort of see that as much as it feels like, oh, you can never put together a great character run of such an important character as, as Luke uh, Dagobah Bespin. Uh, Luke, <laughs> Luke, Luke in his tan clothing. <laughs> yes, Luke in his tan uniform. Um, <laughs> or beige Luke, right? Hey. Uh, swampy Luke. Okay. <laughs> And I like, too, that he's got it mixed up with, you know, he's also got some prop replicas and 
I think those used judiciously can look nice in a collection. So he's got the lightsaber and the the prop, uh, the prop blaster, and yeah, it's. And, so it's. Uh, I think those those are two good limelights uh, for the for the figure of the month. I mean, if, of course the the Uze counts as a limelight, but that's sort of yeah. beyond comprehension. That's more of a of a devastating find. <laughs> So uh, with that, Steve, I think yeah. now would be the good time to yak to some faces. Um, so last last month, I said right. I was going to talk to the folks at Rebel Force Radio, and you heard the Price is Right loser sound, um, but they've been back in contact, and I'm really excited, Steve, because I'm we're also going to be uh, I'm also going to be talking to uh, the guy who directed Fanboys. So oh, great! Cool. I'll get to tell him the story about uh, one of our first hangouts. Awesome. Are you so, gonna are you gonna uh, dig at him about the Chewbacca biopic? <laughs> oh yeah. You better do that. It's your chance. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Wow, Steve. I have all these questions written down, but they're all about like vintage toys and stuff. I hadn't really thought of that. <laughs> See, I'm thinking for your greater Star Wars good right That's now. Good. Oh, you, you would love it, Steve. I wrote out this whole like list of things that I wanted to talk to them about, and I'm like, I hope I don't scare them away. <laughs> I have like I have like all these subheadings like the general themes of which I wish to discuss. <laughs> oh man, I'm I'm you know I'm a I'm a podcast fanboy, so this is like uh, this is pretty exciting. So, anyways, uh, let's uh, let's move on to that. And Steve, I don't know. This might last five minutes. This might last two and a half hours. I don't know. So uh, it'll it'll be exciting to find out. Yaggy, 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 yaggy. Yaggy, yaggy. Don't tell that. All right. Well, I'm here with Jimmy Mac. How's it going, Jimmy Mac? Great, Sky. Fantastic to be here. So happy to talk to you. Yeah, I, I really wanted to really spread this idea to our listeners because a lot of the folks that listen to our show... Um, I don't know. They, they tend not to like listen to the more involved stuff about the movies. And I, I want to tell them that what you guys have going just is the best. And it's, uh, it's, you guys are now independent and you are Rebel Force Radio. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, why do you think it is that vintage collectors would possibly avoid listening to a podcast that is concerned with current Star Wars news? That is exactly the the big theme I, I wanted to talk to you about, Jimmy, uh, because it's it's really interesting. I mean, I remember back I think it was Celebration Four, and uh, you know every Celebration up until Celebration Six, I would make these uh, exclusive T-shirts, and, and I would give them to the the what I call the vintage community. You know, like the people who I know who collect these things, and I gave I gave a T-shirt like this to you guys. You know, it was like to you, and uh, I think Pete was still. Is Pete still hosting the show too? I, I don't know. Point is, I gave it to everyone there who's aff affiliated with your show. Right. And I said, I normally give these to the vintage community. And then I was kind of horrified because a couple weeks later, I was biking on my way to school and I heard you talk about it. And you were like, what does that mean, vintage community? <laughs> <laughs> so so what, what did you mean in that reaction to my obnoxiously snobby comment? How, how did that oh, make you feel? Okay. Well, for starters, I remember, I remember that moment like it was yesterday. All right. And you certainly were not snobby oh, in any okay. way, shape, or form. Uh, you gave us these great shirts that were um, parodies of the Turkish Uze 
uh, action figure releases. I, I, I almost hesitate to call them bootlegs. Right. Because they are so legendary right. among collectors. But um, that's what they were sort of uh, a parody of in the style of. And I thought they were the coolest things in the world. Um, and you even spelled Star Wars like uh, they did on the Turkish packaging. That's with right. these stars. Star Wars. <laughs> Now, what's funny is I was wearing a uh, T-shirt one time at my parents' house, and my mom is a Southern Belle from Northern Mississippi. Okay. And she looked at that shirt, and she said, Jimmy, you bought a shirt that's flawed. It says Stars War. Uh, I said, oh, well, it's supposed to be that way. She goes, well, that is just ridiculous. <laughs> so I had to ex- actually explain your T-shirt to my mom. And I remember when you handed us the shirt, you said, nobody outside the vintage Star Wars collecting community has this shirt. Right. And so I'm like, you're saying I'm outside of the Star Wars vintage collecting community? I was there in the 70s. Right. I was there when the vintage collecting community was new. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that was just a joke. I totally understand what you're talking about. And your involvement in Star Wars collecting, vintage collecting, is, is something that I, I'm, I would never uh, want to diminish in any way, shape, or form. I really appreciate all that you guys do to maintain all of the little pieces of Star Wars merchandising history that you've been able to dig up over the years. Everything from all the, the prototypes to the, uh, the card backs to the original artwork for those card backs and everything in between and beyond. It's so cool to go on like Gus's site and check out all of the great little hidden gems that you have to search out if you're a Star Wars vintage collector. Now, me on the other side of the coin, when it comes to collecting vintage, I'm more about filling in all the empty spots in my collection itself. And that all started with what I consider to be the backbone of Star Wars collecting, which is the original Kenner vintage action figure release. And I was, uh, I spent years and years trying to build up a complete collection of that. And I'm happy to say I finally do have one. Uh, But, uh, but that's just all I meant by that was I was in the vintage collecting community when it was new. Right, it, back when it was modern. <laughs> right, right. So I was, I was just kind of being a, a smartass with you about that comment. But it's something that I appreciate. Vintage collectors adapt to modern collecting, too, is something that's really interesting. Some guys just don't want to have anything to do with it. Right. Other guys want to collect it all. Um, I think you're somewhere in the middle there a little bit. I know you got the Chuseum. Yep. So, uh, you know, Chewbacca is obviously your focus along with other vintage things. But, like, do you expand to collect things like prototypes that are non-Chewbacca? Well, you know, it's funny because when you, when you are so focused on one character, there, there reaches a point where you just have to be patient. And uh, as you may know, as a collector, patience is not – it doesn't really exist. <laughs> so no. mm-hmm. I, I wound up, like, going into little other areas. Like, I, I also love the Emperor uh, for the opposite reason that I love Chewbacca. So I had, like, a little Emperor thing going and – I have like a little thing with a certain Empire Strikes Back 21 backs, but that's just to kind of like every once in a while I notice there's too much money in my bank account. And I'm like, I got to get something vintage. <laughs> so uh, that's, uh, that's how I usually wind up spending it. But it, it is true. And I mean, and to go back to your, to your question, why is it that, that a lot of vintage collectors, you know, wouldn't listen to Rebel Force Radio? Um, and again, I, I really suggest, I, I think it may change, to be honest, because I think, and I was, I'm, we're hopefully going to be talking to Kyle Newman soon. 
um, I think a lot of it goes down to that final moment of fanboys. You know what I'm talking about, Jimmy? When they're sitting in the theater watching episode one? Right. And so the, the final line of the movie uh, is, of course, what if the movie sucks? Right. And I'm pretty sure, and I can't wait to talk to Kyle about this, but that's what happened, in my opinion, to the whole Star Wars community, is at that exact moment, there was a division. And like, you know, I would say, I don't know, half went one way and the other half went the other. And for some reason, it seems as though most of the people who collect vintage figures like really heavily, like they get so into it that it's not even that they hate the prequels. They often don't even particularly watch the, the movies themselves. Like it's just sort of like a, like an abstract thing. Like, you know, a lot of stamp collectors don't care about the post office, you know? <laughs> um, so I, I think it, it turns that way a little bit. And then I think just the sort of the, the weird interplay between the, the fanboy and sort of the, the older school fan. I, I don't know. I think there's too much of a rift there, and I, I really think it, it needs to be mended, and maybe it will be in, in the future. Yeah, that's kind of unfortunate. One time I was talking to Gus and Duncan, and I said to him, guys, what's more important to you as a Star Wars fan? Is it the story or is it the collecting? Right. And both of them didn't hesitate. They said it was the story. That's what keeps them coming back to collecting is because they're so inspired by the story. But I, I know that there's a, a vast uh, amount of Star Wars collectors who are really more into the collecting than they right. actually are the story. For me, myself, the core of Star Wars comes down to the story. And everything that my fandom is all about is based on those stories. So my collecting is based on my passion for the stories themselves. Right. And I find myself as a collector, not only collecting things like action figures and memorabilia and artwork, but other sort of more esoteric things to collect, things that you can't really put your finger on. Like, I like to collect Star Wars audio. Now, I'm, I'm really interested in this idea of, of collecting audio because yeah. so one of my goals is, you know, if, if, if we can, you know, maybe convert you to like a full-fledged, super hardcore vintage collector, then, you know, then it will help to spread throughout the rest of the community. So mm. have you thought about like just focusing just for a while on audio collectibles, like actual items? Because, I mean, like I, when Smuggler's Gambit came out and you sent me that promo, um, it got us looking. And there's really not that much out there as far as the radio plays go. There's like a poster here and like a translucent there. But mm. I, I imagine there could be some, you know, especially with like your connections, there could be some really cool things dug up with like, I don't know, old acetates or stuff like that. Have you tried to track down that stuff? No, not so much. Now, I have been you know, a real audiophile when it comes to collecting uh, underground uh, recordings from bands like Led Zeppelin or, right. <laughs> or the Stones. You know, I, I like a lot of classic rock. And so I search out a lot of unreleased material by those bands. Right. Um, with, with Star Wars, I've never taken it to the next level where I'm actually collecting the memorabilia that's tied into audio. Right. When I say I collect audio, I mean, I'm really collecting the, the little bits and pieces of audio. Right. And back in the, the 90s, when I was really, um, really uh, heavily pursuing that, it wasn't like you can sign on to StarWars.com and go to their soundboards and boom, you have an <laughs> instant audio collection. It would require a lot of time and effort to go through the films uh, one at a time and pick apart these little audio um elements out of each scene and i know certain little tricks where I, that i can do to clean up sounds or right. to uh you know i've listened to 
the Star Wars films. I've listened to them. Left channel, right channel, mono, stereo, phase reversed, completely reversed, you name it. I've listened to try to pick out the sounds from the uh, the actual sound mix. And uh, like I said, nowadays, it's it's real easy to do to get a complete collection and go to StarWars.com and just raid their soundboards. But you don't get everything there. And, and back in the 90s, I was really concerned with getting every piece of Star Wars isolated sounds I could from dialogue to effects to music, you name it. Right. I was just trying to separate it all. That was very time consuming. But, it, you know, and my friends, some of my friends were like, and you're doing this because <laughs> why again? Right. Well, obviously, I, <laughs> I had no idea that I was actually going to be able to put all of that work, hard work to practical use down the road. In the 90s, I was concerned with being like a, a Ben Burt wannabe. Right. I was concerned with trying to teach myself about the way film audio mixes are put together and star wars was my sandbox to try to figure all that stuff out i'm very passionate about audio production i'm a radio professional for a living and any opportunity i can find to blend my passions audio production and star wars i would jump after it so my friends would be like i don't understand you have all these discs filled with all the star wars stuff what are you going to do with it i'm like i don't know i'll do something with it someday lo and behold podcasting became (laughs) popular back at around 2005 2006 and it didn't take me long to realize wow i have already done a lot of the work here i might as well jump on board and that's or Jason and Pete doing their thing at the Forcecast, and I listened to them and realized that these were guys whose chemistry seemed infectious, and they seemed to be on the same level as me as far as my fandom was concerned. And I was, I, I looked at it as a door, a doorway in the fandom where I could be more than just passive about my fandom and someone who consumes what the fan community has as opposed to someone who actually is producing things contributing to the fan community, which is something I always wanted to do, but right. just didn't know how I wasn't an artist uh, per se. I, I wasn't writing short stories or fanfic. I wasn't into developing websites. I was barely into going onto forums and posting I was more of a lurker. But when this opportunity arose to be able to contribute audio production to Star Wars, to the Star Wars fan community, I just found it irresistible. And so, you know, once I threw my hat in the ring and, and the, the, really the prime reason I did it was because I knew that Star Wars Celebration 4 was happening in uh, early summer, uh, late spring 2007 in L.A. And I wanted to have some friends there. I wanted to be able right. to say hi to people and start connecting with fans more on a personal level. And so once I hooked up with uh, Jason and Pete, things just started snowballing from there. And uh, before you knew it, I was on board 100%. Yeah, it's it's one thing I have to say that uh, as much as I want people to listen to Rebel Force Radio, I just don't want them to get used to that quality of sound control. Because, you see, Jimmy's a professional, and, and some of us here are complete amateurs. And uh, I have to say, I'm always a little bit intimidated whenever I hear you guys show. I'm like, man, I, 
I wish being a French professor would make me a better podcaster, but I, <laughs> it, it only does when I get really obscure references out there that sometimes they like. But uh. well, at least at least you can speak French. I can't right. do that. <laughs> I mean, at least I know. Like, I know you're super into audio, but like you know, I've read the Ben Burt books and I've read all the articles. So like, whenever I listen to the the commentaries, I just want to hear George. You know, mm-hmm. because like Kirsch and, and Ben Burt tend to tell the, the things I've already heard before. So usually mm-hmm. when I'm listening, I'm always like, all right, yeah, I get it. So you put the thing at the bottom of the scuba tank. Now let George talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, too, about uh, Ben especially is that he has this really incredible memory. Right. He can he could spin a yarn about something that happened 30 years ago with amazing clarity. And that's why he's such a valuable member when they're doing these commentary tracks for any star Wars film and why he tends to dominate a little bit because he was there pretty much from day one. Right. He was in the, uh, the house with George, uh, the parkway house. He was down in the basement creating the sounds for R2, the Jawas, Greedo, everyone just down there using analog equipment in a basement and uh, all the way up till now, he's got his own studio still over at Skywalker sound totally state of the art but if you go in there and i've been lucky enough to be there a couple times you actually see that vintage synth that he used to create the r2d2 sounds that's awesome and there's you know there's like post-its on it and stuff do not touch these settings and (laughs) a bunch of stickers on it you know pointing indicating to where the knobs are supposed to be turned and everything and then he has in the corner a, uh, a like a curio case, like a big glass display case where inside he has all this memorabilia from his career. The thing that I really love seeing is the scuba regulator he used to create Darth Vader's breathing. He wow. still has it. It's on display in his studio. But just to, you know, see where he had been and where he is now and have an understanding of this incredibly groundbreaking work he did in the audio field for films is truly amazing. And so that's why he gets a lot of time on these commentary tracks right. because he remembers it so well. And he had been there every step of the way. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And that must've been, I mean, that's like, you know, the, the equivalent of like, I don't know, walking into one of the, the Kenner designers rooms and just seeing, you know, the, the, the blueprint still there as he's drawing or something. That must've been, that must've been amazing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that's awesome. So, so what is it then? So then you, you have your, your complete vintage loose collection. Yes. And, and it doesn't, so nothing makes you want to go into mint on card or, I mean, is it that you just don't spend a lot of money on star Wars collectibles in general? Or, I mean, is there a particular figure you would think of sort of focusing on if you did? Well, for me, you know, the mint, mint on card is really cool, but I'm a guy who likes to take things out of the package. My collection is mostly loose. I have maybe two vintage, maybe, no, just one. I have the Imperial Commander. Okay. I have him carded still. Any reason for that? Just a figure? Cleaning out the the parents' house when I moved out years ago and just, you know, every time I would go home, my mom and dad would have a box or some bags of my junk to take home to my new house. And as we were cleaning it out, we just, we found it and it wasn't open and... I said, well, we can't open it now. It's it's hardly in mint condition, but 
it's it's just great to have you know a memory I, I don't even remember how I got it or when I got it but um it's just one of those things you know Star Wars was such a huge part of my childhood and through osmosis my parents both learned a lot about the saga <laughs> just from having me grow up in the house so much so that it was one time I was uh, over at my parents' house, and sure enough, they had boxes of stuff for me to take home, and I was getting ready to leave, so I was in the, the foyer area in my parents' house with talking to my brother, who also is a huge Star Wars fan. Right. Uh, and uh, my dad was upstairs, and my dad's the type of guy who is very much his own person, and you know he's he's kind of uh, you know times I, I'd say he's he's just you know in his own world. It's his world, and we live in it. Okay. And um, my mom said, "Don't go anywhere. We have some things for you to take home." So they went up to the top of the steps, and you know I heard shuffling around and things being moved, and then I heard my dad from the top of the steps going, "Jimmy." Is this your edit? <laughs> Me and my brother froze. We looked at each other. Our mouths were agape. And we're like, he knows what an edit is? <laughs> you know, we'd expect him to say something like, what is this, some kind of elephant or something? <laughs> right. Your but little it was dog vintage, is here. It was a vintage edit from, uh, you know, uh, the early 80s. Oh, that's great. You know, that's actually a longstanding debate on the show. I, I, can, I contend that it's an AT-AT, but... Uh... Very few people agree with me on that one. But, uh, well, that's amazing that your dad actually knew that. And then, because, uh, you know, my dad, he still calls him Chudubaka. And I can't, I can't get him to stop calling him that. So I've been collecting him for, you know, 13 years. But, uh, yeah, that and, and Binksy Binks, that's how he refers to Jar Jar uh, when he's talking about the scandal of episode one. As a diehard Chewbacca fan, does it really just, is it like fingernails on a chalkboard when somebody calls him Chewabaka? Yeah, it, it it bugs me. But then as a French professor, right, the, the French name for Chewbacca for the first movie was Chic Taba, as you may know. And that actually means to, like, chew on tobacco. Like, <laughs> they, they translated it literally, which is a perfectly awesomely French thing to do. So any any kind of mess up that kind of sounds a little bit more like Chua Tobacco or Chua Baca, it, it bugs me. But to be honest, I mean, it's it's hard because when you collect Chewy, you know, Half the time it's with a Y, half the time it's with an IE, half the time they spell, well, no, three quarters of the time they spell Wookiee with one E, you know, oh. you just kind of, you just kind of have to let it go. Although I, I do remember, Jimmy, uh, at one point on your show, I, I accused you guys of having an anti-Wookiee bias. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> an anti-Wookiee bias? Now, now, how can you, how can you back up a statement like that? Well, that sounds absurd. We'd, ha we'd have to go to the archives, but uh, this was, I mean, it had to be 2007 or something, and it was... It was long after that I didn't even get a chance to entertain, and there was just like three or four time, like shows in a row, and it was mostly it was mostly Jason would like make kind of disparaging remarks about Chewie and, and about Wookies, and I, I sent something in it was kind of tongue in cheek, but uh, then I was kind of secretly afraid that like that you guys hated me because I made this kind of joke, but uh, since <laughs> since then you guys have corrected your your anti Wookie bias. <laughs> that is hilarious. That is hilarious. I love Chewbacca. As a matter of fact. Uh, in the mid nineties, when it became apparent that Star Wars was more than just something I enjoyed as a kid, and it was something that was gradually seeping back into my lifestyle as an adult, it was sort of 
a tough time for me to determine how I'm going to say it loud and say it proud among my friends. This right. was nothing I wanted to hide. I, I never was comfortable being a closet Star Wars fan. I was someone who always wore my fandom on my sleeve. And so sort of the way I, I came out as a Star Wars fan as an adult was I had uh, I had a desk and on the shelf on my desk, I had all this Chewbacca memorabilia. I had a Chewbacca keychain. I had a few vintage figures there. The big bulky steroid Chewbacca was just released from Hasbro. I had him. I had the Snuva. Whatever was chewy. I had a little stuffed chewy up there. Whatever it was I had up there. And to a person, anyone who approached that desk would comment on the Chewbacca scene going on on that shelf. Well, that's, you know, Jimmy, that's how I started. And I'll send you a link. I have two Polaroids for my collection from the mid-90s. The first one has three items. The other one has maybe like ten. But, like, it just started, like, right around that time when I realized, man, Star Wars is taking off. I better kind of focus on my favorite character or else I'm just going to buy all this stuff. And like that's kind of how it happened, Jimmy. So if you just kind of kept going, you know, you'd you'd be uh, you'd be in the mess that I find myself in in my basement here. <laughs> Let me ask you this: Did you get the Mark Echo Chewbacca jacket that was just released? I, see, I have this problem with with stuff that comes out now, which is okay. that whenever it's expensive, I figure, yes. well, it's probably not going to go up. So I can wait to buy that, and I'm just going to save my money for the next, you know, obscure Australian release Chewbacca that might come up in some kind of weird auction somewhere. Yeah. That being said, I that that's on the hit list for 2013 because yes. the the Chewbacca like gear, like I finally got the the bathrobe. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, that thing is just beautiful, and and the the jacket's great, and it kind of kind of transforms, and and all that's really good. The only problem is. Is like I actually like wearing the stuff that I get. Like uh, the way you are with toys, that's how I am with Chewbacca memorabilia. I wear all the T-shirts. I don't care if I get pit stains in them or whatever. Uh, actually, my kids now both have matching long sleeve Chewbacca shirts, uh, <laughs> not not on purpose. So like I would wear it, but then I, you know I'd be so protective of it. So I'm, that's the other thing. I'm kind of afraid of uh, of having it. But that thing is sweet, though. Oh my god! And I'll tell you. The photos you see of it online don't do it justice. There's nothing like seeing that jacket in person or better yet, wearing it. It is furry. It is, it has the bandolier. Yeah. And the bandolier is removable. So it's just like, you know, like I might just show up at a convention just wearing the bandolier. <laughs> That's well, hey, that, that's how Chewie does it, you know, except uh, except we were talking about that, except in the, the Muppets appearance. He, he isn't wearing his bandolier. It's he's not. And, he, and he's not wearing it when the Falcon blasts out of Moss Eisley. He takes it off. <laughs> as he said, Have you ever noticed that? That's funny. I've never actually noticed that. Oh, my goodness. He takes it off as, you know, Han is shuffling everyone up on the the ramp to get on board and they they cut away to a shot of Chewbacca he's in the cockpit of the Falcon and he brushes up against the dice that are hanging from the ceiling <laughs> and you notice he is not wearing his bandolier and if i remember correctly he's actually placing the bandolier to the side as he's prepping the ship oh, to get you know it that 
I, I sort of see that motion. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's funny. That's what's amazing. You know, we we start every show with a, with a little like a movie thought. It's not about vintage toys, like just because I like overthinking stuff, and that's sort of you know part, partly inspired by you and Kyle. Because I love how you guys just can riff forever. And actually, today, this month, all we talked about, well, all I talked about was for about forty five minutes was about Luke's Bespin outfit and like. How it's actually a Dagobah outfit and, uh, you know, how does he actually get it on? And he's just sort of wearing it and where does he put it on in the first place? And is it really a fatigue? Because it's not a military gear. And if it is military gear, what military, you know? And The first time in my life I ever heard the word fatigues was when I bought that action figure. <laughs> right. And it was such a great release because you had the big tease. You brought up the Muppet Show. Mark Hamill was on that episode, too, wearing the Bespin fatigues. Right. And so that was, and that was released prior to the release of Empire Strikes Back. So you got a preview of it. And all during that episode, you have Gonzo and Kermit and Scooter. They're all commenting, you know, wow, I love your outfit. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're just like telegraphing that so much that, so that by the time you, that action figure was released, you're like, well, this is the coolest thing ever because. He's uh, he's he's uh, wearing the, this is the Muppet Show, Luke, is what I used to call it. <laughs> That's the name. You know what, Jimmy? We've been trying to call it something different, you know, because my whole argument is they're not fatigues and it's not a Bespin outfit. Yeah, on the Blu-ray, they call it uh, tan uniform. But I like Muppet Show Luke. That's much better. The Muppet Show Luke. And then you have to customize the Chewbacca to remove that bandolier. And then you have Muppet Show Chewie. That's right. Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you what. I just heard from Kyle Newman. He wants to jump in on our uh, vintage chat here. Now, Kyle Newman, he's a guy who has a lot to say about vintage. Oh, good. (laughs) I know about Kyle. So, Kyle, we were just talking about the Bespin fatigued Luke from uh, Empire Strikes Back, that classic vintage figure do you have any thoughts on that one? Oh, this is vintage toys i thought this was vintage furniture oh i see how you got that confused i also do a thing oh, like okay. the 14th uh, it's a whole different thing because i'm a french professor but no no this is this is vintage toys uh, although if you have a nice end table i'd like to hear about it too but uh... <laughs> and we will so be doing more armoire talk <laughs> yes we're talking about about best spin luke and just sort of uh... i think it's great and i i love that figure i love I mean, obviously, that's. I think that's probably the first time in my life I was really cognizant of toys, you know. And it's right around when that original one came out, and obviously that was the incarnation of Luke. That was the one you wanted to get your hands on. So I, it's it has a special place in my heart. Um, all of those advantage um, of Bolingbrook. All of those Empire toys, um, but that Luke one was like he was the guy for me. So I, I love that figure, I, and I love it if. You know, with with Hasbro, when they do put out more, and, and let, let me be really clear, I collect vintage carded. I collect vintage, vintage, and vintage carded. I I'm really nonplussed by just generic card Star Wars figures. It doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't have a nostalgic or emotional impact unless the whole package is takes me back. You right. know, you're you're at home here, Kyle. <laughs> and I love it when they they. Look, how many times have we seen the same figures over and over again? If you're going to do a figure that is going to be put on a vintage card, I don't need to see the one that's redone that I've seen for 30 years. I would like to see a different incarnation of Luke. And and so, Sky, Kyle is talking about the modern vintage line. And so for someone like you who is a hardcore vintage, vintage collector, where do you stand on these new vintage 
figures, the, the modern vintage line. And where do you stand on the 12-inch Gentle Giant vintage figures? I mean, I am completely in favor of all of it. I mean, when, when we started our show, you know, a couple of years ago, whatever it was, um, that was sort of right around the time they were coming out with the vintage line. And I remember being in 1995, seeing the Power of the Force red cards and saying, oh, wait a minute, this, this isn't it. I mean, this is cool. I'm happy to have new Star Wars toys. I'm happy to have Tarkin and a Rebel you know, Trooper and everything. But I want the real thing. And, like the, yes. and the fact that that's continued and that it's been so successful and that most modern collectors, even though they don't like the higher price point, um, you know, and I am friends with Curdo. You know, we live in the same town, so I, I try to keep abreast of the whole uh, the whole modern scene. I know they don't like the higher price point, but like you just you cannot fight Kenner's design because I mean, people give you know Star Wars credit. I mean, Kenner credit for creating this scale and all these things, but their visual design is just unmatched. And so I love it. If if it were up to me, if I had unlimited funds, I would have just bought all the modern stuff. Um, the gentle giant is even better, you know, cause I, I have to think of things in two ways, like as a collector of Chewbacca, you know, and so I have to get one of each, so that's fine. Uh, or two of each depending. But then as a sort of a person who sort of tries to speak for the vintage community, uh, as I use that term again, uh, I love anything that keeps us relevant and meaningful. And so gentle giant showing everybody, look at these sculpts, look at how awesome they are. I mean, you, you take, uh, what was it? The, the R five D four that came out recently or, or the Gamorrean guard. And you look at that thing so big, you realize, you know, they've made toys that are newer, but they just haven't made them better, you know? So yeah. I'm, you know, what's I'm, another cool thing was seeing the way gentle giant put out a blue snaggle tooth. It is as yeah. an exclusive. And I still think that's a big gap. I'd love to see a vintage carded blue snaggletooth. I thought that was even rumored at one point. I mean, and just looking at like an Empire Strikes Back wave, we're talking about Bespin Luke. But I would love to see Luke Medical Frigate as Kenner planned him. Yeah. If you want to get an Obi-Wan, don't put Obi-Wan on a New Hope card. Get Obi Spirit of Obi-Wan on an Empire Strikes Back card. Yeah, yep. And I just, uh, you know, to, to return to what Jamie was saying, I just, as... As mu- I'm really bummed that they're kind of stopping this, and obviously the fact that they're stopping everything that isn't Disney is is bothering mm-hmm. me. I, I know everyone's kind of whispering that, but I mean, do you also collect? I mean, not just the the modern vintage, but the vintage vintage. I have um, every single figure from the vintage vintage line. Okay. Um, some are carded, most are uncarded. Um, a lot of the uncarded, I have multiples. Okay. But I have like maybe you know fifteen or twenty. Maybe twenty something figures carded from the original um, Kenner assortment, like uh, you know Yoda in his first incarnation. I've got you know twelve back Chewbacca. I have a twelve. What's that one you picked up in Japan? I have a twelve back C three PO, which is great. So it's the um, the slight variant that was released in Japan with a different head sculpt. Oh, nice! So I have that one. I got a great deal when I was over there. Um, I've got a lot of the Power of the Force ones still carded, you know, um, Imperial Dignitary and Imperial Gunner and Amanda Man. Um, I actually have an Anakin Skywalker carded, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to fill in, I'd love to get some of the, I'd like a Luke, a Ben, an evader, you know, I, I love the whole 
you know, the, the second wave of figures that came out. I just, that, those are really, really dear to me. Those Cantina aliens. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, no, that was the most fun that we had, you know, Death star it's, droid. It's just, it's beautiful. The packaging the power yeah. droid, they're gorgeous, you know, and I've got a hammerhead carded. I have a Greedo carded. I have a walrus man carded. So they're not fantastic condition those, but they just, I don't know. It's just a hard thing to, my, my philosophy, which I've said before, you know, publicly as I really think if, if you're going to put out, you know, figures, collectors want, you give them the option of the card and the card should be something special. Right. But kids that open doesn't matter to them, you know? So if, as long as you're satiating and varying, uh, varying up the line and, and getting a good assortment out there. So kids will want to get them and hitting the heroes, but also putting out things that are new to vintage. So collectors can feel like it's a continuation and there's that nostalgic value and there's this momentum. So everything from 1978 onward feels like it's part of the same thing. And if something's really great and it's a Clone Wars character then put a Clone Wars logo on it, I don't even like to call it vintage. I like to call it, it's a Star Wars card. Right. Put it on a Star Wars card because nothing makes me more upset than when I think about episode two toy packaging. Like what a missed <laughs> opportunity yeah. to bring the saga, to bring the two trilogies together. You have to do it on every level. You do it in merchandising. You do it in terms of just the content. But a big part of Star Wars has always been the action figure line. And when those prequels came out and they didn't try to – correlate them in any way to make it feel like a continuation of of the great work that kenner had done it it was like almost an affront to it it was like we're not going to even do that we're not going to recognize them as characters on the card we're just going to put them on this baby blue card with flecks of dirt it didn't even make any sense yeah no that was and, when i was collecting modern the most and i remember thinking like this what is this yeah what is this, this? An opportunity I mean, I love having the Luke without the hand, but beyond that, I'm bummed about everything else. But, so but that makes about me excited the for the movies because hopefully, you know, if we're getting back to some of these, you know, they say, you know, potentially the core characters are back and this is a continuation of Return of the Jedi and maybe it's a good time to relaunch Vintage again, even though it's dormant now and bring it out and tie it all back together, but do it on all levels. And a big part of that is the is the Kenner style classic star wars card presentation and i don't know about you guys but i mean if you want to talk about modern figures while i appreciate things like articulation and attention to detail like that uh, sometimes the joints with articulation really affect the sculpt and make it look phony and also with articulation you deal with flimsier characters characters that have their arms busting off at the elbows um heads popping off left and right it's like what kind of playability does a kid have with these figures that just completely fall apart once you take them out of the package like the clone wars figures they couldn't even stand up yeah but let me tell you because i know you guys are big clone wars fans uh, our kids, we finally got to watch the last episode this afternoon. And so my son, he, he ran downstairs. He grabbed the three shock troopers that we have, you know, the red guys, and he brought them up. And two of them don't have hands uh, at all. He calls them gun hands, and he pretends that those are guns. And then the third has hands, and he's like, this one's name is Perfect. I'm like, why is his name Perfect? Because he's not missing a hand or a foot or anything. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, but then actually love it because they then my daughter grabbed Ahsoka and they were like running all over the living room, chasing all over each other. It was, it was, a, it was like a perfect recreation. It was like a totally vintage moment. You know, that's exactly what I remember playing with the toys as a kid, except that they had to deal with these 
really cool, accurate toys that didn't have hands. And Ahsoka doesn't have the bottom of her leg. And it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of like a weird, like, oh, I guess it's good because it's Star Wars and there's lots of amputees. It's supposed to be that way. <laughs> you know, I have so many fond memories of playing with those figures and not caring about what condition they're going to be in, but still taking care of them at the same time, you know, not leaving them around so my dog could eat it. My dog used to love Han Hoth. And he used to love Yoda. Anytime he could get those figures, he would chew them up. And there was a moment when I thought I had outgrown Star Wars. I thought I had outgrown my toys. And I had a BB gun. Yeah. And I set up the cloud car pilot on my parents' backyard fence. And I aimed that gun at it. I sized it up through the scope. And I pulled the trigger, and that thing exploded. It was this explosion of white plastic. (laughs) And I'll never forget the sinking feeling I had when that happened. And I said, dude, what did you do? (laughs) What did you do? You're destroying your childhood. And, And from that moment on, I said, I will never, ever cause harm to a Star Wars action figure again. Well, I would rescue them. Yeah. So many kids going into high school knew I was into Star Wars, and they're like, I'll sell you. Whole garb- a whole garbage bag full of action figures for five dollars, uh-huh. and they would just bring in their garbage bags filled with X wings, and some of them were broken, and all types of action figures. Some were scuffed, some were in fantastic condition with tight joints, and big five, ten dollars. So I just started accumulating mass amounts of people's discarded toys. It was like the island of misfit toys, and they all kept coming to me. Yeah. That's and I would take them and I'd clean them up, and I'd put them in little bags, and I just saved them all. Yes, during so those so dark times. During those dark times, Kyle, you and me have talked about this a lot, how we would have dreams of walking into a Walmart or a Toys R Us and seeing the pegs filled with vintage figures, but they weren't the figures that we bought. They were the characters that were never made. I still have dreams about that. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I have dreams where there's like... Where there's like an R1G4 or a General Dodonna or a Wooher on a vintage card. I would lose my mind if there was a Figrin Dan or a CZ3 or a Gurindan. The guy was such a key character in the movie. It's funny you're saying that about about the Gurindan because there's this weird thing where before Star Wars was released, maybe you guys know this, but one of the first toys that were made was made by this company ironically called Star Trek Galore. (laughs) <laughs> and, and they made these – actually, it was made by Heritage, but it was advertised in a magazine, uh, like a store called Star Wars Glow or something like that. And they were like these unpainted, really weird bootleg, almost like, uh, like D&D miniatures. And yes. For, and for some reason, they had Gurindan in there. And I remember just thinking, like, why is this the only vintage version of Gurindan anywhere? I mean, there's no puzzle. There's no shirt, iron-on, nothing. Like, this is it. This one little bootleg – Un- unpainted uh, thing. Uh, so. You know what it was too. Back in the day, there was Cracked magazine. Remember Cracked? Oh, of course. And it had this fantastic cover. Um, I remember it was like bluish, and you're in the cantina, and everyone's making fun of that little guy. But it had all of the aliens that I wanted as action figures. You know? Right. And I was just like, oh, they're going to make those, aren't they? And they just never did. On that side. But actually, Jimmy, I have to say, because the co-host of the show, who actually uh, lives right near you, Kyle, in uh, West Hollywood, he, uh, he can't be here today, but he collects figures that children have destroyed. That's his main collection. 
He calls it his reject collection. So he has figures with BBs in them, and he has melted down and figures eat chewed on by dogs. So if you still have that cloud car pilot, it has a home where it will be cherished uh, with Steve. Oh, that's <laughs> the pieces, cool. Maybe the pieces are still there. Uh, it's, it's amazing because you look at it, and I, look, I remember thinking, oh, that's kind of funny. That's kind of goofy. I'm like, oh, no, wait. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I mean, okay, I have prototypes. I have one-of-a-kind items. But I don't have a crazy Obi-Wan Kenobi painted like a clown. I mean, he has that. It's just <laughs> one of a kind. Exactly. Do you guys remember the last vintage purchase you ever made in a store? I, I do. Mine was a, it was a Tebow, uh, and it was at Ben Franklin. I don't know if you guys have those. Where you sure, guys yeah. Oh, yeah, we had Ben Franklin. That's where I used to buy my uh, Topps trading cards, my Star Wars trading cards. Oh, cool, yeah. So yeah. it was on the pegs at Ben Franklin. I remember getting a Tebow, and I remember just looking at the accessories being like, I'm going to lose these. <laughs> I knew there's no way I was going to hold on to those. How about you, Kyle? You know what? I, there's a couple. Um, and I don't know which came first, but I remember I'd ordered so many with proof of purchases, the Anakin uh, Skywalker figure. Okay. And they just kept coming in the mail. Like I think like <laughs> months and months after the line was done. <laughs> I think I was still getting Anakin's. I think I have eight of them in the box. Nice. Um, and there was also – there was a Christmas. I think I was bad or something because my mom didn't give me all of all of my presents. And one day I was like playing hide-and-seek and I was in the closet and I came – like one of her purses was like – like felt hard. And I was like, what is this? Because I was hiding. And I opened it up and it was filled with some Power of the Force figures. And there was like three of them. And I was like, what is this? Because this was like March. Christmas was long gone. Right. But she had just forgotten to give them to me. Yeah. And I think those were the last three I received. Huh. Um, but I didn't open those. I, I held on to them. And you, you I still think have in terms those of in a well? store, it might have been um, – yeah, I remember. I, I kept. I remember the day I went in. I was looking for that uh, Han Solo Carbonite, which I never had as a kid, and I couldn't get a Luke Stormtrooper, but I did get Imperial Gunner and Barada. Those were probably the last I remember buying. Wow. Yeah, that's that's a pretty specific memory. I, I assume, Jimmy, you you remember yours too? Oh, of course. Um, I was definitely way out of collecting Star Wars at this point. As a matter of fact, I stopped making my action figure purchases around the time of Return of the Jedi. I, I recall going into a KB Toys, seeing them all on the pegs. I knew my brother had picked up some of them, and I had looked at them at home. And then I was just flipping through the pegs, looking at them all. But I left them all there because I thought, well, you know what? I'm going into high school. I don't play with toys anymore. It's the end. Star Wars films are done with. It's the end of an era. It's time for me to get into chicks and guitars and things things like that. And um, it was 1986, a few years uh, after Jedi, I was, I had hitched a ride at home with a friend of mine from high school. And he said, do you mind if I stop in this toy store? I have to pick up something for my nephew. And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. So I went in there with him. And while he was making his purchase, I got distracted by this big bin filled with power of the force action figures. And they were 50 cents each. Wow. So I I bought up everything I could with the money I had. I remember buying uh, uh, B-Wing Pilot and um, uh, Luke Stormtrooper and uh, the Ewoks and whatever was there. 
the next day I went back and bought the rest. And for the longest time, that was as far as I had pushed my Star Wars vintage collecting. And I felt like I had a pretty complete collection. I knew that there were still some missing, like on Carbonite. I, I knew I didn't have him or Yak Face, which I didn't even know about Yak Face at the right. time. Learn about Yak Face until uh, the early 90s when a, a friend of mine, he's an actor, a comedian, Bill Leff, he's a big toy collector. And he started telling me about his collection of Star Wars figures and what they're worth. And uh, I would say, well, do you have blue Snackletooth? And he'd say, yes, I do. And I said, well, I have two of them. So he really piqued my curiosity to go back to my parents' house and dig up all that stuff. And that's really what got me back into collecting as an adult. But um, I was still in high school when I discovered that bin of figures at KB Toy and or no it was called Clippers Clippers was the name of the toy shop and it was just you know a chance thing where I was with a friend of mine and I saw them all in there and I had thrown away that pretense I had in summer of 83 that I had outgrown this stuff and that it was time to fill up the holes in my collection and so I did just that however those uh, that collection sort of sat dormant I got into uh <clears throat> Star Trek, uh, actually Star Trek Next Generation in 87. And I watched that, you know, all the way through college and stuff. So I had found myself attending a few Star Trek conventions and I would go around to the dealers tables, not looking for Star Trek stuff at all, but asking if they had any Star Wars stuff. And they would always tell me in the cardboard box under the table. So I would move it. I would move the uh, the the tablecloth, and I would pull out a box and find like a imperial guard without the cloak. And I, you know, what do you want for this? I'll give you a quarter for it. You know, I just start stocking up that way. And uh, then when I met Bill in the early '90s, we were doing radio work together, and he told me about how or how organized Star Wars collecting was becoming. Uh, Steve Sansui had just released his first Tomart's guide, and I picked up a copy of that, and that just unleashed the floodgates. I said, well, I have to get all this stuff out of my parents' house. I have to make sure it's all in great shape. I have to put it on display. I have to fill in all the blanks in my collection. And then shortly after that, Hasbro revitalized the Star Wars line, and it all just took off from there. But that was the last time I ever recall buying vintage figures during that era was when I had that chance visit to that Clippers toy shop in Glenview, Illinois, <laughs> as I was just hitching a ride home from school with a friend of mine. So wow. that's, my, that's my recollection of my final vintage moment. And then I started having those dreams of about, you know, seeing the vintage carded, um, uh, Garindin or whoever, uncle Owen Tarkin. We always wanted oh, Tarkin. Tarkin's I, the pinnacle. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, yeah, those are, are my my final vintage memories. Wow, that's that's up, man. You guys have some really good memories about that. We'll have to. Start, I haven't asked that question. I don't think before in any of our interviewees. Uh, that's cool too, because it gives you an idea of like people's different ages. I mean, what, one of the things about my co-host is he's like a lot younger. Like he was, man, I think he's like not even thirty yet. Um, and uh, it was actually funny, Kyle. I, I owe you sort of a thank you because. I didn't really know how to hang out with him because he was going undergrad when I was a grad school at Santa Barbara. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and so like one of the first times, if not the first time we ever hung out, was when Fanboys was playing uh, at the Magic Lantern Theater. And it didn't come any other you – know, I didn't make it down to L.A. to see any of the showings. I was really excited. And I've told the story on the show before, but I actually won the uh, costume contest. Um, but I won it without trying because 
I, I just I wear all my Chewbacca gear, and I had a, a Chewbacca sweatshirt. It was like this handmade sweatshirt. And people in Santa Barbara are so relaxed and chill and, and devoid of like passion. I don't know what that I was the only person who showed up. It was like a full full place. But I was the only person who showed up wearing anything Star Wars. So oh, that's I, awesome. So I, I got in for free. I apologize. I wasn't able to, to support you that way. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, anyways, I wanted to, you know, we, we definitely appreciate, uh, appreciate the movie. And uh, uh, Jimmy and I were talking about it a little bit earlier, too, that uh, that last line, you know, what if, what if the movie sucks? In my opinion, I think that's what happened to the Star Wars community was at that point half decided it did, half decided it didn't. And I think... <laughs> That was the split. Um, there was a split, and that's why it was a very decided point to end the film. Because, you know, really it was about the movie, that whole thing. What we're trying to do is just show how it brought people together, awaken people to it. And after that, the fandom kind of went in two different directions. And there's the people, which I actually think... They all tend to be really miserable people that really <laughs> don't – they don't like themselves. They're so – they just wanted to judge the movie as it was in 1999 yep. and never look at it in context of what else came out. Yep. And it, it, I understand why it was – you just jumped to that conclusion that's it. But yep. it was hard and definitely was a schism in, in, in the fans. Yep. Yeah, it was. I mean I could – uh, I could talk about it for for hours and hours. I know uh, J- Jimmy says that uh, we should probably probably wrap it up soon. Um, although I do actually, yeah, I unfortunately, yeah, I have a a work call that I'm 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 late for, and I apologize because I was late to you too. Just kind of a oh, crazy no, but... day, but I'm also happy to talk further at a later point if you want to. I apologize, I have to hop off right now. No, no, I, 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 I've I, I've been a fan of your site and your podcast for a bit, so awesome. It's well, it's great it's... to finally come on and and chat. Yeah, about all this stuff because I, I think about it every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, it's, you know, we love, but uh, I, I will let you guys go. I will have to talk to you guys again because you have not answered the, the Soviet lightning round questions. You let me know. I can do it whenever. I, I apologize. I have to go now, but I'm down to come back when later this week and future. You tell me and we'll figure it out. All right. Well, cool. Well, uh, thank I, you again. Great chatting. Yeah, awesome chatting. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks. See you, Kyle. Awesome. Talking vintage with Kyle. I mean, there's a guy who loves to talk about vintage. Yeah, he is. I'm telling you, both you guys, you you have what it takes to be full on hardcore. I mean, the 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 way you described your Imperial Commander, that's like the beginning story for so many people. That kind of thing. And I could see you in five years having the full proof run and you know (laughs) the the hard copy and the acetate and the sculpt and everything, using all your crazy connections, you know, and like. Being the Imperial Commander guy, I could I could see. I mean, I know I know the guy in Singapore who has most of it, but still, uh, he'd probably be able to you know let go of it. I could help you figure out trades. You know, I'm just uh, uh, and definitely Kyle there too. We'll we'll have to we'll have to work on uh, again finding this great uh, center ground. You could be my collection manager. Exactly, I'd love to be because uh, especially if 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 uh, condition is not your be all end all. Collecting yeah. is a lot of fun, and it's not that expensive. If all you care about is AFA 85, then you're just going to spend a lot of money, and, and it's going to be a little bit less less fun. Yeah, and there's a few holes in my collection, too, that I'd like to complete. Uh, some play sets, vehicles, vintage, of course, you know, that I, I would really like to get back. You know, I used to keep all the boxes, too. I, was, I had the foresight as a kid not to throw the boxes away. Right. And uh, we had them all broken down, and they were in my basement. 
And wouldn't you know it, the sump pump failed, the basement flooded, and all of those mint boxes just got trashed. And that probably happened, ooh, I, I, I pinpoint that date around somewhere like around 1989. Uh, so, you know, all the card backs, all the boxes from everything from the Falcon to the Death Star and, you know, the Imperial Troop Transport, all that stuff. And I still have the actual toys themselves, but uh, I don't have those boxes anymore, and I've always been heartbroken over that. I had even the early bird kit, you know, the the stand for that and everything, and wow. it all, all just got trashed. The, the cantina backdrop, you know, uh-huh. the, the blue snaggletooth set right. that you only get at Sears. Yeah, yeah. We used to go to Sears uh, all the time with my parents, and uh-huh. we would flip through that catalog, and we saw that blue snaggletooth, and we said, this is a figure we don't have. We <laughs> need this playset. And that, that year for Christmas, we both got the uh, Cantina playset, and it was a thrill. We got all of those Sears exclusives over the years. Oh, wow. Even, even the remote control land speeder from J.C. Penny. Oh, nice. My grandmother... The one who lived in northern Mississippi, she right. to the J.C. Penny in Corinth, Mississippi, one summer. It was summertime. And she said, pick something from the catalog that's going to be your Christmas gift. And so we saw this remote control land speeder. And one was not good enough for me and my brother. We both had to have our own. Right. So we both told Graham that's what we wanted. And... It was the longest wait for that Christmas to roll around, and we finally got our remote control land speeders, put the batteries in it, and a thing didn't work for sure. But, uh, you know, because it just had this little R2-D2 clicker. You click it, and the thing right. would just, you know, drive right into the wall and get stuck there, and it was mostly ineffective, but it was still cool to have, and uh, I still have both of those remote control speeders. Uh, They're not exactly in great shape, you know, I think one of them is missing the windshield, you know, that kind of thing, and one of them's missing the the wheel, there's a wheel underneath that would steer it along and uh, all that stuff is uh it's either up in my attic or it's gone forever but um you know i just got i always say god bless my mom because she knew how important star wars was to me growing up every toy i had from the six million dollar man to gi joe with the kung fu grip all that stuff went in the garage sales but she never touched my star wars stuff because she knew it meant a lot to me growing up and she thought it would be something that i could share with her grandchildren someday little did she know i do share it with them but i don't let them touch it all right <laughs> uh see that's part of the fun thing about being you know like in sort of the weird the cel- the vintage area of celebrations you know it was like during one of the after hour sales a couple i think it was celebration five someone brought out these huge like technical readout dimensions for the land speeder remote control thing and like weird blueprint drawings. Like they weren't even like cool to look at, but they, I mean, they were cool to look at, but they didn't look any good at all because they're actually full on technical readouts that someone got from somewhere in Cincinnati. So uh, if you ever want to just focus on the land speeder, you could do that too. But, uh, <laughs> technical readouts of this battle station. <laughs> exactly. 
But I still have my vintage Death Star. Of course, all the foam is long since deteriorated. Um, I still have uh, the vintage Dagobah playset. Again, all the foam has deteriorated. Of course. But I, I still love having them, and I, I have them on display, and uh, they're very important parts of not only my collection, but of my childhood. And, yeah, they're not in mint condition. Uh, they're far from it. Uh, but they'll never be for sale because what they represent to me is so much more important than any sort of dollar value I could put on it. it. In essence, you never really grow up as long as you stay connected through vintage collecting. You, you never really get that sense you've fully grown up. You've just evolved. Right. You're just an, an accidental adult. That's what I often call myself. <laughs> I love that. I'm going <laughs> to use that. I'm stealing it from you. Accidental <laughs> Sky, it's been a pleasure. Yes. I could talk, like like Kyle said, I could talk vintage all day long. And uh, and if you want to continue this discussion down the road, uh, I'm, I'm available and more than happy to uh, chat vintage with you all night long. Well, yeah, well, I think, you know, because you guys have both not answered the lightning, the Soviet lightning round questions, we'll definitely have to get you back on. Uh, maybe even Jason, if he's ever forgiven me for calling him a, a, a Wookiee hater. Uh, <laughs> I think he got over it. I think he probably did. Yeah, probably never even thought about it. But uh, Yes, we definitely got to get Jason for next time. So. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jimmy. And again, everyone out here who can hear my voice, Rebel Force Radio, uh, it's 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 just so much fun to listen to. You guys have a, a really good back and forth. The sound bites are great. Every week they do the thing with uh, with Billy D. Williams where they get an amazing quote. Although somehow it took him a long time to get to Bingo Long and his traveling all stars and Road Kings. I don't know. If I took you guys so long to get there. It took a long but, time. It sure did. Yeah. But uh, but they always have uh, just these great features. And if you want to know what's happening with episodes seven, eight, and nine, uh, they're definitely the place to go. And uh, be sure to uh, give my my warmest regards to uh, Gus Lopez. I will. He's uh, you know his his website was one of the original Star Wars websites I visited back in the early days of the internet in the mid mid 90s and yep. uh and it, it definitely was an educational experience when i discovered his massive collection of prototypes and rare action figures you name it gus has got it and i think that you are supplying the perfect podcast for his website oh, so well, keep well, up thank the you very much jimmy and right. uh and stay vintage all right stay finished jimmy <laughs> all right man later right, later All right, Steve, I hope that interview went well. I imagine it did. Yeah. I, I actually added a, a new uh, lightning round question. Ooh. And that is, what is your favorite bad line from a Star Wars movie? Hey, that's a good, that's a good one. And uh, huh. you've, you, of course, know mine, Steve. <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> Maybe not. Give me, a, give me a reminder. It's a pilot land over there by that assembly area. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that line. I will. I will often say that to my family when I'm driving. Like if I'm if I'm in the passenger seat, my wife's driving. I'm like pilot, land over there by that assembly area. <laughs> How about you, Steve? What's your favorite bad line from a Star Wars movie? Oh man, that's I'm gonna have to think about that. Yeah. Um, there there are so many to choose from. Oh, I, I don't mean that as a snarky, you know, like oh man, there's no. So, there really are so many to choose from. They they really are. Yeah, that's that's funny. Uh, yeah. uh, all right, I'll, give me, remind me, and I'll, I'll come up with that next month, and I'll, I'll give you mine. All right, all right, that sounds good. All right. Um, so uh, you want to do a vintage vocab, and I was thinking we might as well 
talk to Chris Jorgulius because I think he might know more than we do. I think it's usually a, a good thing to assume. All right, so we'll talk to him after the drop. We let them folks change our vocabulary. Change our Vintage. And the vocab word for today is box flat. Hello. Chris. All right. Well, we're here with Chris Jorgulia, Steve. As always. And, well, not as always. As, as not as often as we'd like. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, we're the, the figure this month, Chris, is, you know, Luke Bespin. And uh, okay. this has got us thinking a lot about box flats, right? Because there's a lot of these 12-inch figure uh, box flats that came out for the Empire Strikes Back uh, unproduced line of 12-inch figures. And right. I, was, I was thinking, Chris, I'm going to try to explain box flats. And I, if I'm right, then you can just say that's right. But I've never really fully understood what they were. Steve, have you had the same problem? I mean, I'm, I'm probably in the same boat as you. As I, I have a, a general understanding, but there's probably specifics that that uh, I don't have. Okay, so as far as I can figure, Chris, these are not pre-production items. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, all boxes start off as box flats. You know, they get them from the printer, and then they just, you know, they're in their cases of them. You just pull it out and unfold it and stick your toy in it. Okay. So. So in regards to the 12-inch line, it's just packaging that that was printed up and ready to go, but didn't go to that next step actually being used. Okay, so then it, they feel like proofs to people because they're something that isn't the production item without the actual toy, but they should not be confused with proofs in, in almost any way. Well, I mean... There's probably some proofs out there that are actually like unused card bags. So it's it's almost the same thing, except the difference in the proof is you know, you'd have to actually put a, a blister on there. Right. And that's another process where the box flat, you can literally fold it up and then take the contents out of a regular toy and you could transfer it and you'd have a mint box. Right. Toy. All right. So then, so if we're looking at like, you know, we'll, we'll be having pictures on the enhanced uh, podcast. Of the uh, of the Luke Bestman. So then, where did this probably come from? How many do you, do we think are out there? I mean, if this was unproduced, right? Why do we have this in this forward of a stage? Well, I would say for the most part, probably because of Steve Denny, the uh, collector from Kentucky, and he was one of the earliest guys, and he's probably one of the first guys digging prototypes out of. Kenner, literally out of the dumpsters. Okay. I mean, tons of proofs that you have and seen, box flats, things. I'm not sure the box flats as much. I know proofs. He literally pulled things out of the dumpster at Kenner in addition to buying stuff, you know, from his employees and, and from flea markets. You know, he showed up at one flea market. A guy had just like, I think, comic box, long boxes full of just proof cards, you know, because. Wow. When you print materials, I mean, once you get the printing process going, you know, you, it doesn't take long. You crank that stuff out. So it's just 
the way they do production. And it's all what gets saved and who saves it and if he passes it along. And that's why you have so many of those boxes around. Right. And desirability is depending on, you know, what it is. You know, an unproduced 12-inch doll is going to have more desirability than, say, like a box flat of, like, uh, an X-Wing fighter or something like that. Right. Okay. So there. So basically, we don't know how many there are, but there's probably not more than a, than a handful, right? Of this one in particular, or we just would never know. Are we talking you know, specifically Luke Besson yeah, box? Yeah, specifically, just as an example of an unproduced figure. Um, it's hard to say what's out there. I'd have to say that I mean, just from what I've seen over the years, it had to be less than a dozen. Right. You know, probably, you know, half a dozen to a dozen. That's just a just a off the cuff guess, just based on kind of you know, because I know there's some in private collections. You see, add those up, you know, and then figure there's a few more beyond that. You know, a dozen's probably not far off. It's probably might be on the high side from what I'm guessing. All right, so good. So it seems as though we we were pretty close uh, as as to how that goes. Now, I was also thinking too that like. I mean, do do people ever sort of because you could just fold these up? I mean, I've seen people sort of fold them up and make them into like look like toys that were actually made. I mean, what's the sort of experience with like box flats and how it sort of pertains to sort of like fakery? Have Have you seen stuff like that? Yeah, I have. I mean, there were some on eBay a while back. You know, a few years ago. Not huh. naming names, I uh, you know. It sort of goes into like one of these ethics things, like is it real, is it not real? I mean, really, it's a printed item, but if you stick a toy in it to make it look like a full toy, does it? It's sort of fakery in that in that respect, but I guess it depends on your point of view. Because I've heard opposing point of view. It's like, well, you know, this is what it would have been, and here's just the contents, and right. Yeah, but you can't say yeah, this came off the assembly line as as that, or you know, even I guess if you got it as a sample from some employee, literally though, it's it's probably the contents of something that was already existing, you know, just transferred. Right, because so it's hard to say. It is because you know I have like the Vampire Strikes Back Chewbacca box flat, um, so you know that was unproduced as well, at least as an Empire figure, at least in America. And I mean, my problem is it displays well, but you know, there's a lot of that kind of brown cardboard, and I would never do it. But it would look nicer if it was if it looked like the rest of the uh, of the 12 inch Chewbacca's that I have, and it was all kind of all lined up. And I've thought about you know getting a a Star Wars one and just removing it and setting it all up. And uh, yeah, no, it is it is an interesting question question of ethics. Yeah, I. Uh... But once you fold it, you can't go back. You know, it's, it's yeah. folded up. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's going to depend on your next. You know, whatever you do with it later on, you try to pass it along to somebody. You have to find somebody who wanted it because it was folded up, and you might find somebody like that. But then other people might look at it and say, "Well, you know, you took a, this unproduced thing and you folded up and stuck it right around a, a production item, so it sort of loses its appeal." I think. Yeah. And then the other thing, too, is, you know, this is vintage vocab, so we've just explained what a box flat is. Um, but what is a toy shop scrapbook, Chris? 
that is uh, years of my life. That's what it translates to. But uh, basically, I guess most people know um, what Toy Shop Magazine was sort of like the the way to buy and sell toys and stuff, um, mostly throughout the 90s, you know, even from early, basically that 10-year span almost, you know, I think eBay came out 97, 96, it was really early, but most really, it started taking off, you know, say 98, 99. Right. You know, it really was, was, was hot, but before that, you know, Toy Shop was a, just like a newspaper print, um, large, large format magazine that came out bi-weekly it came out weekly for a while huh. um it was like goldmine magazine if anybody's a record collector they you know they print that thing up and basically dealers from all over the country all over the world would put in ads you know like they'd mail their photographs to the toy shop they'd do old school layouts you know transfer all that stuff and, and basically you'd get you know, it's like the, the, the classified sections of your newspaper but it would come to your door and um you scour through it and look and see, you know, what people were selling. It's just sort of like a print version of, of eBay, basically. Right. And so there was, was some 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 guy. I don't. I forget his name, but he actually like found a whole bunch of these and scanned them in. And then I don't know. It must have been some kind of maniac to like actually take all this time to do it. Do you remember the name of that guy, Chris? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you talk. You, I think you mentioned his name almost every podcast. Almost but. every podcast. Yeah, that that, that yeah. was you, Chris. So, uh, as as much as you're getting out of this show for listening to it and and us trying to catalog the history of the vintage uh, hobby, if you haven't spent at least three hours on on the toy shop scans, you're really missing out because uh, a lot of it's funny, you know, uh, and a lot of it's like heartbreaking. Because you see these prices, like I'm looking at a, a Leia Bespin first shot that's going for looks like 300 bucks there, um, <clears throat> and then some of it is like hilariously ludicrous and stuff that's happening now. Like someone was dumping C-3PO removable limbs in Kenner baggies, and he says it's a great investment because C-3PO will be in all the new movies. <laughs> 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 Which, Steve, I believe you mentioned that as something they were saying on episode seven for a reason why people should buy, you know, a, a C six Bosque toy. <laughs> um, but the reason why I bring, bring it up now is because there's actually some really cool ones with twelve inch uh, uh, Luke Bespins, and uh, yeah. I just um, I thought I would sort of kind of highlight those um, because there's even like a, a, a Luke Bespin box flat here. Um, and then the minimum bid is $2,000. I don't know what it sold for. Chris, did you keep track of what everything sold for? Did you try and track that or was there any way to do that? Oh, there's no way to do that. I, I mean, basically, I mean, that magazine came out. I mean, it was just, it was literally like going through the, the classified ads. And what I do is like, after, after a while, I was like, man, I want to see certain things and keep track of them. And the only way to really do it was to cut them out and make, or just take just an old, just those old school photo albums, you know, those wax pages that I cut, cut the ads out and I cut like lines out of the ads and just sit there and put those things, you know, with an exacto knife and, and, and lay them in there. So all that stuff too with the scans. I mean, it, it all looks like separate. It's like me cutting these things out with the exacto knife. <laughs> a larger ad cutting out just a few items that I wanted to retain. And basically I tried to retain everything was like, 
really rare or like bootleg or unique. Right. I mean, the stack of toy shops that I eventually threw out was about four feet tall. I mean, oh my god. It was a tremendous. I mean, I'd never do it again now, but I'm glad I did at the time because it was a really nice way to, to snapshot in time of all that stuff. But it'd be what I captured there is a fraction of the amount of Star Wars stuff that they that was actually sold. You know, I didn't I didn't catalog all the different action figures and regular items. You know, I just wanted to save the really rare stuff. Oh wow! Because you know, it was things I wanted to refer back to, and then. Uh, Chris Nichols thought it would be a great idea to scan them in and, and make them available online, and that's how everybody's seen them. I mean, before that, I was just toting around with me and show people, <laughs> you know, and, and have gatherings or whatever, and people really loved it. And, yeah. You know, it's become a great resource, you know, and I've, I'm sitting here staring. Now, there's a, a stack under my bed, probably 10 issues that I never got around to that were early, and there's I had a list for a while saying these were the ones that I still needed, and I was, uh, Arnaud actually in France, he was promising me he'd take his out of the, out of the stories and send them to me so I could do that. And I guess with the few ones I need the last, you know, that I have left, I would actually go through those. But right. you have to look through this map, I have to look through it like three times. And then, you know, cursory glance, you go in there and then mark all the pages that I wanted and start going in there and cutting everything out. And, but, um, so, yeah, so, and so you're saying your, your job's not done, Chris. You have to go back and finish with the ones under your bed, right? Uh, those few, yeah. <laughs> Good grief. I'm to knock the dust off of those. I don't know. There may not be stuff. We're, you know, I think Toy Shop started in 1988. Oh, wow. I didn't get my first issue until 91, I think. Um, and then I subscribed to it, you know, and it came. My clockwork, but you had to, to get the good subscription. You had to get like the overnight subscription, which was ridiculously expensive. I just got the regular version. So by the time I got it, the dealers and everything had been through it for for a week before I finally got my copy. And All right. There's stuff, to, there's stuff to get, but lots of box flats in there. Lots of interesting unproduced stuff. I mean, it's uh, yeah pretty easy to search for now. If you look in there, you know, I sort of itemized everything and just search on the text, and you can sort of find. Yeah, no, yeah, it, it's it's great. I mean, you could uh, you could get a Power of the Force Gamorrean Guard for one hundred twenty five dollars. See C nine, pretty crazy. Yep, uh, yep. Yeah, that's great stuff. Well, well, cool, Chris. I know you don't have that much time to talk, but I uh, just wanted to make sure we knew what we were talking about with box flats and do a little bit of ad advertisement. Uh, you can get to it by going to, but uh, you yeah. can type toy shop scrapbook in Google and it comes right up. You know what, Chris? That's a much better idea. Yeah, yeah. So uh, definitely worth checking out. And, and you, you could even, I mean, I would say listeners, they could email us, uh, thevintagepod at, at uh, gmail.com. They could email us and say something they found in there that they thought was interesting that we should talk about. Because, uh, you know, there's tons of stuff in there. And I've, you know, just every time I look at it, I see something new. So, so Chris, you, you know the irony, right? You know what this basically is. What's that? It's basically the market watch before the market watch. <laughs> if you think the market watch is too long, you should fast forward. So, uh, I think we should get Brisbane. Your audience members know that Sky put me up to that. I don't think he plays a drop anymore. So. I, I did. I, I didn't play it last month, but we should get Brisbane, Brisbane Mike, and Fantastic Pete to say, if you think uh, Chris talking about yeah. the scrapbook is too long, you should fast forward. Yeah. <laughs> 
I didn't like that. He emailed me. I was like, oh, it was just a joke. <laughs> I, I listened to the market watch. But. I know. Everyone does. It's uh, Well, now that we actually had them on the show, you know, I think it's uh, a little bit more relatable. But yeah, right. no, it, it's basically the proto market watch because it was the only way to really track sales at the time. So I think uh, that's right. That's just funny. Actually, it's more than that because you know the reason I started it, I started seeing things that I'd never seen in print before. Huh. So it was like it was like the first time I'd seen like the like the the two up of the EV ninety nine. Like that was, my cocoa had it. Is that? Oh man, I'm gonna save that. And I was like, oh yeah, I should start saving more of these things. Right. And that's how it grew. But huh. it's uh, so not not so much to looking at prices. I mean, but I mean, it's a good it's a good snapshot in prices for those types of things. But yeah, the carded stuff and everything it's crazy how what you could have done back then. You know, people say invest in you know 1978. If you'd have just you know you'd have bought things in 1995, they were way way. I mean, you'd, you'd do incredibly well now. Even in 2000, you know, it's yeah. You know, there was, there's great stuff in there, so or just available. So yeah, awesome. Well, we will uh, we will get back to the rest of our show. But thanks for uh, talking with us once again. And uh, right, I appreciate it. I'm sure we'll talk in the next uh, couple months. Yeah, I'll All still right. be rambling, I guess. <laughs> All right, thanks, son. Steve. <laughs> thanks, guy. All right, thanks. <laughs> uh, and you know that that conversation, Steve, uh, leads us quite nicely into. Into what, Steve? Our nuggets from the archives. That's right. Tis a nugget from the archive. Tis a nugget. Oh my god, they're gorgeous. From the archive. Oh my god, they're gorgeous. It's kind of funny. We wound up actually talking a lot about the 12-inch figure. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is really interesting, you know, that they didn't make these you know, large size action figures, or as we also call them, Steve, dolls, dolls. Yes, <laughs> sorry, Lee. Um, boy, how long ago did we interview Lee? Steve, can you believe we've been doing this show for three years? God, it, it is still kind of crazy to think about. It was funny when I said that we should interview, you know, the ra- rather childish guy, and uh, I was like, boy, I hope we haven't already done that. <laughs> I feel like. Ah, I was just looking through our <laughs> through our archives. It's funny we've uh, we've done a lot, but anyways, um, it, it is a really interesting uh, figure. And what we found here is there's a couple of pictures of the prototypes that exist. Okay, so right. you know Gus has one, and you know, a couple other people have one of this actual prototype set, um, which is actually featured in Gus and Duncan's Guide to Star Wars Prototypes, um, which if you don't have, you should get. Um, but actually, uh, Ron wrote up this this right, and it's on the great marble background, and it's a picture of a prototype Luke Bespin fatigues or tan costume Luke uh, that's never been seen before. And uh, w- right. how would you describe it, Steve? Well, it's got you know the the regular outfit, but it's the uh, the boots that kind of distinguish it. The uh, the prototypes that have surfaced have uh, like actual. Um, Molded boots that kind of try to mimic the the uh, the regular costume, but this has these kind of like fabric uh, covers. Or, I don't know really how to describe it, but it kind of makes this one stand out as as something maybe a little bit earlier because the uh, the other twelve inch Luke's and I think the uh, the Han also had that kind of molded boot 
Right, the standard plastic molded boot. Now, Steve, uh, because I was watching the Blu-ray today, doing research for today's episode, they have this thing where you can analyze the costume in detail, and that actually really? that actually looks closer to his boots than the molded boot that they show. Yeah, his boots are kind of funky. They sort of have too many straps. Um, I mean, if you had to just define his Bespin fatigues, his tan costume, it's there's just too many buttons and too many straps. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so it's actually fairly close to it. And and what I like about it is that it's this picture is only available in the French toy licensee, Meccano, right. in one of their uh, pamphlets. And yeah. just why? <laughs> you know, why is this the only place you've ever seen this Luke? And again, it's – and here it's not Luke Tenubespin. It's Luke Cloud City, it says. Yeah. Um, so this is just a really nice piece. And again, when you think about what's out there, what has not been found, uh, this particular prototype has never been found. Where is it? It's probably somewhere, I imagine, right? You'd, you'd think so. Um, but yeah. And, uh, and and we can't find it. So, But if you did find it, you could just fold up one of those box flats and put it in there. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> uh, that's, that's an ethical quandary. Um, and then, Steve, what I love is that <clears throat> you know, ever since our poor Obi, Obi-Wan, we – have tried to do a better job of actually talking about our figure of the month. Yeah. Um, but that being said, our unloved item has nothing to do with Luke. So let's hit our unloved no. item. You don't hate, only the unloved hate. The unloved and the unnatural. The unloved and the unnatural. So Steve, uh, you picked out something. I don't know how you got there or why you got there, but what is it that you found, Steve? So I can never really explain how or why I get to these things, but I was, <laughs> I guess, looking for something Empire because it was always the, the toughest to find, uh, the funky things. But uh, I found this bank from probably the most boring licensee name ever, Metal Box Limited. <laughs> right, Metal Box um, Limited. Like, <laughs> which the, is the name Metal Box doesn't sound limited enough. <laughs> Metal Box Limited. No, <laughs> but uh, it's this octagonal bank that has this really great artwork on it, featuring all the, the Empire characters. It's got you know, Luke and Han in their Hoth gear, and I don't. Some of these images, I I don't remember seeing them anywhere else before. Um, I could just be missing it, but uh, like, do you recognize that Chewie that Chewie pose that's on there? Yeah, that's. I mean, so it's it's line art, right? So it's, yeah, it's yeah. drawn. That is similar, actually, to the Chewie that is seen on the uh, the fat Chewbacca uh, bootleg Peruvian board game. Oh, okay. Um, and I've seen it other places, too. The line art is familiar. Definitely the Yoda I've seen before. Yeah, That's I'm thinking that pose. I, I had this old comic book that I got at a swap meet that was, it was, you know, before the Empire movie came out. But some of these poses look really familiar to the cover of that. I'm thinking it might be, they might be used in the same way. But, but I mean, yeah, it's, it's a really cool piece. They're fairly standardized, but still, I mean, the fact that it's octagonal... Um, yeah, uh, Steve. I'm going to uh, to go too far here, but uh, for some reason, it makes me think of uh, back in the early days of the Christian Church. They would always have uh, baptism rooms as octagonal because the the Romans would always have their death rooms as octagonal rooms. 
Um, <laughs> which is a long way of saying if I have my my uh, remains, uh, uh, I'd like to I'd like them in a Empire Star Empire Strikes Back bank. bank. <laughs> um, and and what's great is that uh, you know Steve, you were talking about. And again, this is the Star Wars Collectors Archive podcast. And, you know, we, we just talked this episode, or I just talked to people this episode, uh, about having once been a part of another website, having been a part of the Force Net and being part of Rebel Scum. And there's great things that come along with that, Steve, right? I mean, you, you get all this access and privilege and notoriety and hits and all that stuff. But the fact that our hobby primarily involves just goofing around on my favorite website <laughs> it's just the greatest thing <laughs> it really is yeah and so i i clicked when i saw that name metal box limited um, which again is just really you need to throw the limited on there um <laughs> i noticed that there were other banks from the early 80s and these are all posted by duncan jenkins um mm -hmm. he was not available for comment steve uh, um, which is a way of saying that i contacted him tonight at five o'clock asking <laughs> if he could record See, uh I wasn't going to tell the audience that. <laughs> yeah, no, most of these things, uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, Steve, uh, my semester's starting back up again. Yeah. My daughter had to go to the hospital because she was dehydrated this week. Oh, no. My wife's skipping off to New York City to see stupid My Morning Jacket concerts, and I'm alone with the kids during the whole, you know, spring break, and I'm at work. I tell you, <laughs> this is a tough time for the old Sky Bar. But that being said, I, I wasn't able to really get these things prepared. Um, but I, I uh, was able to email him. All he was able to say was that the, the on these other banks. So, Steve, I don't know how to describe these. Yeah, I don't either, really. <laughs> so I, there are other banks. And on one side is a standard uh, shot from Empire of the Star Destroyer shooting at the Millennium Falcon. Right. And then on one side... Uh, of them, there's Yoda, and next to Yoda, there's just these two red dials, and I I guess it's just a combination bank. Yeah, right. So I guess the only way you can so it's like a safe basically. Yeah. But it's really, really flimsy. <laughs> like, yeah. holy cow, this is a flimsy bank, and uh, and Duncan said that uh, the combo locks are not very rugged and probably wouldn't keep someone's little sister out of it. So <laughs> anyways, he said he'd be happy to be on the show. So, so we're going to see if uh, we can get the, the king of the space freaks, Duncan Jenkins, to come and talk to us about another unloved item. Oh, great. That'd be awesome. Um, and and the, what I love too, and we're going to show this in the, in the enhanced version, is the Darth Vader combination bank because it's just that picture of Darth at the top of the stairs and it's just all smoke and the red light. And I, I guess I've seen this particular image before, but I'm not sure. But this, he's really out of focus. And it's just yeah, the, the yeah. silhouette and just, it just reminds you of how great that whole scene is. I mean, even today when I was flipping around on the Blu-ray, I had to stop for the, the Carbonite room uh, yeah. duel. Uh, it's just, I think it's, I think it's one of the best, like, film scenes in any of the movies just the yeah. way it is it's in, great in any movie ex except for of course the part where darth vader yells when he has steam blown in his face ah even that ah right <laughs> it's uh uh yeah but and then so if you look at the rest of the stuff that metal box <laughs> limited makes i mean they make little <laughs> tiny stuff uh duncan duncan said that maybe there were little pill cases for geriatric fans um th there's a great luke tin 
there's there's a Luke macro tin, so I guess that's kind of like a bigger tin. And I don't know, he's got this sort of it looks almost like a forty five from a teen idol from the early sixties because he's got this sort of goofy like <laughs> you know kind of cute guy look. And then there's a uh, let's see, there's another Luke one. Oh wait, there's like it's called a space trunk. Space so, trunk. Yeah, I mean, what is Metalbox Limited up to? Because on one side <laughs> you have you have Luke in his tan costume, and you got Leia and her Bespin, and Han in his Bespin. What is it? Okay, well, listen, we're gonna have to talk to the king of the space freaks at some point about what a space trunk is, <laughs> because <laughs> there's no information. As much as I love the king of the space freaks, Duncan Jenkins, he's very famous for his pictures with no write-ups. And uh, I think that works for some people, but for us, we we, we need need more input, as <laughs> as Johnny Five would say. Uh. Whew. wow! Oh, Steve, you know, for for having such a crazy week, like I just said, uh, I'm actually full of vim and vigor. That's good. Surrounded by my kith and kin. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I guess all that's left is. One dollar flicks. Market watch. <laughs> All right, Steve. Well, the technological problems continue to plague us today. Uh, I can't open up Fantastic Pete's market watch. Uh oh. Um, but fortunately, you know, Fantastic Pete stuff is is not tied to one specific character. So we can kind of do a double fantastic next month. Um, so I apologize to that. Um, I hope that you are enjoying the Wilds season. Um, Steve, what do you think about, about <laughs> sports teams that don't have an S at the end of their name? I'm not a fan. Yeah. I, do we call I me? Mean, I, I mean, do I call them the Wilds or do I call them the Wild? I don't. I don't know. Uh, anyways, you can answer that uh, next month. Uh, I, I don't know why it just won't open for me. But uh, Brisbane, Brisbane, Mike. This is a special month for him, Steve. First of all, uh, he's coming That's off right. the the high of actually being on the show. Um, he is officially now mentioned in the opening credits to the show. Uh, I assume his favorite rugby team is doing well, or soccer, whatever the hell we talk about every month. Uh, <laughs> and we are talking about his favorite figure, which is Luke That's Bespin. Right. Yep. we got a good run of stuff here. Um, I guess we'll start off with the Empire figures. Uh, we got a 31B that was an AFA 85, went for 865. Wow. So let's let's now we can talk about it, Steve. Now we can talk about the walking down the hall versus the yeah. pointing. So then, this is a basic fact of Star Wars collecting that that uh, our new listeners may not know, but the card back for Luke Bespin, uh, or Luke in his Bespin fatigues, as Mike properly puts in quotes, he was walking down the hall, and then they changed it to, on the thirty-two back to Luke pointing a gun at your face, sort of pointing at you. And uh, why do you think they changed it, Steve? I mean, I guess to make him seem a little more tough. I mean, he looks a little timid in that original card back, but I think that maybe more reflects the situation at hand. <laughs> yeah, it I really works better for me. And I love 
in particular on the 12 inch box flats that you see the little picture that they chose for just his face he has got the goofiest looking like oh i don't know about this and, and that's what the the walking foot yeah yeah that's what the for this figure you know obviously the in between white and black and the gray and certainly when you listen to lucas talk about it on the commentary while fast forwarding and annoying your children um you know, he just talks about how the movie is really about Luke screwing up. Like, Luke is doing the absolute wrong thing when he goes. He should not be there. He is giving into the dark side. He's doing everything wrong. Um, which makes sense that you would want to sell that as a toy and that you'd want to sell him with a gun pointing out at you because, uh, <laughs> who wants, who wants the official toy of walking down a hallway scared about your future? <laughs> uh, Wow, that's really cool, though. Man, I would love that. Anyways, um, <laughs> so uh, that's a long way of saying $875. Was that right? 865 yeah. All right, for an AFA-85. Uh, now, what if it went down to an AFA-80? Would you have to pay less? Let's see. If you go down for an 80, it's 630 Yeah, so you dump, jump down a little bit. All right, and it's still 31 back, so it's mm -hmm. still the walking photo. Yep. Uh, that's not too bad. Um what if you just got a different AFA-85 that was for 700 So, man, it seems really random. Yeah, wow, that's crazy. Huh. Um, man, a few of these. There's, and then there's an AFA-80 that's seven seventy nine. Right. Hmm. So it seems like people just sort of... This is a good reason, actually, why you should use the Market Watch feature. Because you know that you can get a lot less... Um, and uh, it's nice. He actually provides a summary, and he said that the eighty-five eight sixty was a nice piece, um, but uh, it seems seems pretty high. All right. So uh, if we went down to to forty-one backs, uh, you know, there's like a forty-one back with the gun photo, and uh, let's see that that sold for how much, Steve? That's like a uh, five sixty-seven. Wow, five sixty-seven. Man, these are still pretty high. I guess people just really love the iconic figures. Yep, I think it's it's a good argument to be made. Yeah, but um, you could also but, uh, get one ungraded for one seventy two, and uh, ooh, the forlom offer actually looks okay on this. Yeah, what is that? Hmm. Sometimes the forlom doesn't doesn't look good, but uh, they have a forlom for three hundred twenty five, one for three hundred eighty. But you know, Steve, the whole last couple months we've been talking about how cheaply you could put together a run for Bosk or IG-88. Yeah. Uh, that is not true for Luke Crispin. Not so much the case. <laughs> I don't think you could put together a huge run. No. And, and he even mentioned that, that, that you know, it looks like more patience will be needed. Um, although, I don't know, the 48C yeah. went for 150 Man, but see, then you go up to the, the 77 back for Jedi, they went for 230 so it's just, it's, there's no easy way out for, for Luke Pespin. <laughs> yeah, I guess I never really thought about how popular this character was. I guess, you know, the main character in the most popular movie in the saga, that does make sense. That would be popular. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then, Steve, I, I think we really have to mention the Tri-Logo. Oh, yeah. Uh, because I actually... Almost every month, whenever we talk about a Trilogue figure, I never really think about how different it is. Um, 
but uh, the Trilogo figure that was released in Europe. Yeah, yeah. This is just beautiful. It's a totally different photograph. Completely different. And he looks even, like, more aggressive. <laughs> yeah, he looks. he's definitely pointing the gun much more at your face. And actually, you know what, Steve? I just read about this uh, on French Yahoo. There's this huge Playmobil scandal in Britain because on the front of a, of a box, there's a, a robber hey, uh, holding up a bank guard at gunpoint. And uh, in you know in England, that's far too violent to have on the cover of a box. So there's demands for the recall. Huh. And I think maybe they would say the same thing if the if the Luke uh, Bespin fatigues were to come out uh, now because he he's pointing his gun directly at you like, hey kid, you want to <laughs> buy this? Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but the Tri logo sold for six hundred and forty-five. And to be honest, that seems to be the first one that's worth its money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, yeah, when you think about how, how different it is and unique, um, yeah, that's, huh. And presumably uh, a little bit more rare. And the only sole prototype is the Revenge of the Jedi proof card. Yep. Which went for 425 which, again, uh, if people just want to get started in any kind of proofs, revenge cards are a really good way to go. Because yep. Uh, they're out there, a fair amount. And you can get just about any any of those, you know, first uh, batches of characters too, which is nice if you're looking for an early figure. Yep. Well, awesome. Well, thank you very much, Brisbane, Brisbane, Michael, for your excellent watching of the market and uh, fantastic. We will join you next month with whatever you did for this month that I presume was was good. <laughs> Quite good. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to the feedback section. All right. All right, Steve. We got lots of good feedback this month. Definitely. And, uh, well, it was cool, Steve. We actually – someone wound up posting to one of our old threads about uh, Snaggletooth. Yeah. And uh, this is just another beautiful – it was the Jared image this time, yeah? Yeah. And it's uh, pointing out that Snaggletooth's outfit is very similar to Michael Jackson's outfit in Thriller. Yeah, and, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's impeccably close. It's like just <laughs> – and, and a couple months ago, you know, it was like we talked about how Doctor Who was the origin of Bosk's costume. Right. And uh, I think there could be something here. So this little Photoshop work that Jared did, we'll put up on our show notes, uh, uh, is just beautiful because it is uh, Snaggletooth as as Michael Jackson. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's funny. It, it all started – Chris Wilkins saw that <laughs> uh, Jared just happened to change, I think, his profile picture to Snaggletooth. And <laughs> he made the connection and then, yeah, sure enough, right after that, we get this amazing – <laughs> Michael Jackson, Snaggletooth. Right, and, mix, and it, mix up. if you're just listening to the show, if you're not going to our Facebook page uh, and checking out the uh, the gallery de Jared, or if you're not going to the forum, and if you don't have the the enhanced, you just you got to see these images because uh, let's see, John Peck put together a a Twilight. Uh, parody with IG-88 because um, <laughs> as you may remember we talked about last month IG-88 according to Steve Sansweet has a uh, has a glittery variant 
um, a glittery paint variant, which we didn't know about, which made us think about uh, IG-88 in Twilight, you know, because the vampire's <laughs> all sparkly glowy with his skin. Uh, and then that made you think about him playing baseball against uh, werewolves, and Jared came through with a great picture of, uh, which, uh, you know, to tell you the truth, that may have to be our, our fantasy baseball logo this year. Oh, man, that is pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, just a couple, you know, I love getting emails of people saying that they just listen to old episodes <clears throat> or old issues, as I pretentiously call them. Uh, let's see, Richard emails us and says that uh, he took a trip around Europe and listened to episodes 6 to 15. Awesome. Um, and he says that our features are great and the dynamic between us is amazing and interesting. Whoa. So I, I like that. I don't know why you gave your best Keanu Reeves impression. but uh, <laughs> That's what I was going for. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but I like you. That's, that's good. I, you know, I met Alex Winter once, the, the, the guy who plays uh, Bill from Bill and Ted. Oh, yeah? <laughs> uh, actually, I met him at the Cannes Film Festival, huh. um, which is, this is potentially the second time in this show that I mentioned the Cannes Film Festival because I may be mentioning it tomorrow. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was pretty excited to meet him. <clears throat> Um, we had no responses, Steve, to the vintage chess set, except Ollie, uh, our faithful uh, uh, listener, sent us something about a, a Lego Hoth chess set. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which is cool, but come on, vintage pod listeners, let <laughs> us know about, uh, about what we should do about that. Uh, so we got a got a really nice long email from uh, from James where he talks a little bit about his his vintage memories, um, and just sort of that he's kind of catching up. And he says that listening to your podcast has inspired him to uh, complete his collection and to give the four year old boy the collection he always dreamed of. Um, so that's just great. Uh, he's out of Sheffield oh, in England, um, which I believe is next to Gary, England. Um, so, that was a baseball joke for you, Steve. Get Gary Sheffield, <laughs> the dork with with. Uh, <laughs> I didn't hear that first part. <laughs> oh, okay. The dork with with braces from uh, the nineteen eighty eight top hear Gary, <laughs> Oh, Okay, all right. Because um, you know, if Gary Indiana moved next to Sheffield, oh, yeah. England. And speaking of sports, Steve uh, Martin Thurn, who uh, you know, we still. It's been a couple months. We've been waiting to talk to him about his amazing zine that he came out with. A couple of years ago, oh boy, it must have been longer than a couple of years ago, but many couple of years ago, uh, which could be seen as almost a sort of prequel to what we're doing uh, in print. Um, and uh, what, why don't you quote this one, Steve? <laughs> Hi, Sky and Steve. After listening to the Bosque episode, here's some feedback. One, the cast is, is too long already. Please drop the fantasy sports crap. Looking forward to the next one. Smiley face. <laughs> and I knew it was from Martin because I think I, that smiley face, I've seen him use that particular form before. Like, I wonder if that was from Martin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Steve, I said earlier in the episode that I like J.J. Abrams and George Lucas because they're withholding. And they don't always give the audience exactly what they want, Steve. Oh, no. See, this, this is the tie-in. <laughs> yeah, and this is the tie-in. It's all right here. So, no, the fantasy sports crap has to stay. You know why? Because if we took out the fantasy sports crap, you would actually miss it. Because you would say, <laughs> I have no reason to skip the end of the episode. But once you know that we start talking about it, yeah, uh, it's your cue. Yeah, but but don't worry, audience. Uh, we just uh, the season hasn't started yet. 
Not quite. Um, although, uh, Dad, have you have you started? Have you signed up, Steve? I did sign up. Yeah, and I uh, just I'm sticking with the line of deflector shields for now. And I, I went with a controversial new name, Steve. Oh, really? I don't think I've seen yours yet. Well, I realized that I can no longer name myself after known Red Sox mm. because I've won three years in a row <laughs> and I have this conflict in my heart. And so <laughs> I tried to pick a figure who could kind of match that. So I am now Babe Proof. Oh, man. <laughs> and I'm doing it partly to antagonize the Yankee fans, of which there are many uh, in our in our little group. Yeah, there are, there are a few, yeah. Uh, and I, I photoshopped an old Leaf baseball card from like, I don't know, 28 or something. And I changed it so it says Babe Proof. And then I photoshopped the Yankee sign out so it just looks kind of blurry. Because, um, of course, he was first and foremost a Red Sox. You know, like Kevin Euclid, once a Red Sox, always a Red Sox. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I may change it before the season starts. But uh, I just thought – I just – I really – I mean I want to win, but I also really want not to win because I always root for the underdog. and I'm just definitely not the underdog anymore. Uh, oh, all right, so – we heard you loud and clear, Martin. More, more fantasy baseball stuff. Uh, I wasn't reading too close. I think that's what you said. Um, but yeah, and so I think that that leads us up to next month, Steve. Who's I figure next month? I was hoping you would you would know. <laughs> you know I'm actually picking up Kellerman right now. I had to put good, my uh, my thing of water out. I'm going to flip through Kellerman. No, we've already done Jawa. We've already done. All right, we're on to page thirty-five. Past page 37 of Kellerman, and it is Han Solo in Hoth outfit. All right. Aha. So once again, we could dip our toes into the box flat. Uh, ooh, one of my favorite threads from a long time ago involves a, hawks, a Hoth box flat. Uh, do you remember that one, Steve? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Oh, it ended with the line, clearly this is not, this box flat is not for the members of this forum. (laughs) Um, Which is just great. Ooh, we got some good ones coming up, Steve. I can't wait. But you know what I also can't wait for? I can't wait to go to bed, because it's like midnight out here. I had a feeling. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a good episode. Hope you guys enjoyed the interviews, and uh, thanks for staying with us as we sort of rebrand ourselves as the Vintage Pod and and stay true to our core values, which is annoying you with fantasy baseball. (laughs) Wampa Wampa! Adios! Star Wars figures, R2-D2. Chewbacca, Luke, and Princess Leia, they're the Star Wars early bird set of figures. These action figures are not yet available, but this Star Wars early bird certificate package is in stores with its colorful Star Wars picture display set and certificate